One theory I've considered is that uh, major political events or counterculture happenings, things that go on of major import, uh, kind of create a uh, alternate r- reality or multiple reality uh, matrix where all these different theories may exist simultaneously. Ladies and gentlemen, we kind of make our own uh, reality and you got to deal with yourself first <laughs> before you think about it. we can't change the world you know so do the best you can with yourself to live in this world and help whoever you can on your small level we're getting pretty heavy here man we need to get back to uh, some of the light stuff <laughs> Happy Trails to High Weirdness, available now from Amazon.com. <laughs> We're out in San Jose interviewing for this uh, film, and he let the cat out of the bag at that uh, point and uh, revealed to the world that he is Natalie Wood's son. Wow. And now, ladies and gentlemen, Banal of America Audio with your host, Tim Banal. What is going on, my friends? This is Tim Banal of BanalofAmerica.com with another edition of BOA Audio Season 7. Coming at you this week with the return to BOA Audio by our longtime friend and Esoterica's crackpot historian, Adam Go Rightly. He joins us here for a jam session covering his new book, Happy Trails to High Weirdness, A Conspiracy Theorist Tour Guide. Over the course of this freewheeling conversation, we are going to discuss a myriad of topics, including conspiracy conventions, suspicions of being monitored by the powers that be, the zine scene era, Jeff Turner and his Tuesday Weld Illuminati theories, Charles Manson, the 2008 Bigfoot body hoax, the JFK assassination, the codependency of the UFO phenomenon, and a whole bunch of other assorted hijinks. Altogether, it is an exploration of the main streets and odd side roads of the paranormal and parapolitical with the one-of-a-kind Adam Go Rightly. Before we give you Adam's bio, let me just give you one in-house note regarding this conversation. When we sat down to tape the show, Adam wanted to try out Skype on his end. So, of course, for the first uh, ten minutes or so, it went fairly well, and then Adam started breaking up like crazy, and we switched to a landline. So, if, as you are listening, you start to get frustrated and concerned that you're going to have to endure a lengthy, broken-up conversation. Do not worry, my friends. You'll hear me put the brakes on the Skype at about 10 minutes into the conversation, and then after that, the conversation gets very, very smooth. Now, for those of you who are unfamiliar with Adam Go Rightly, allow me to provide you with a little background on him. A self-described crackpot historian, Adam Gorightly has been chronicling fringe culture and conspiracy politics in an illuminating manner for more than two decades. 
an active contributor to the zine revolution of the late 1980s and early 1990s, Adam's byline was a familiar sight in many cutting-edge magazines of the period, where he sharpened his literary teeth, penning articles on the paranormal, conspiracies, and fringe culture. His explorations into these arcane waters eventually led to his first book, published in October 2001, titled The Shadow Over Santa Susanna, Black Magic, Mind Control, and the Manson Family Mythos, which has been described as the mother of all Manson family tomes. This was followed in November 2003 by The Prankster and the Conspiracy, the story of Kerry Thornley and how he met Oswald and inspired the counterculture. The first biography of the legendary counterculture figure, chronicling Thornley's amazing and tragic life. Following that, Adam released The Beast of Adam Go Rightly, collected ramblings from 1992 to 2004, featuring many articles from Adam's formative years in the zine scene and onward into the new millennium. In 2009, Adam penned his next book, James Shelby Downard's Mystical War, and, as noted here, in 2012, released his latest book, Happy Trails to High Weirdness, A Conspiracy Theorist's Tour Guide. Adam has been a guest on talk radio across the U.S., Canada, and Ireland, and his articles have appeared in numerous publications, such as The Excluded Middle, UFO Magazine, Paranoia, Steam Shovel Press, and 424, the largest soccer magazine in Great Britain. His formal website is www.adamgorightly.com. Pretty simple, all one word, adamgorightly.com. And you can also find more from Adam at his blog, gorightly.wordpress.com. Check it out. And with all that said, let's get down to business and rock and roll. This interview was recorded on April 12, 2012. Adam Go Rightly, talking about happy trails to high weirdness a Conspiracy Theorist Tour Guide, on BOA Audio, Season 7. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome to another edition of BOA Audio, Season 7. Very excited about this edition of the program because we are welcoming back an old friend of the show. And uh, he's really been with us, you know, through the whole progress of BOA Audio. I think he was, like, within the first ten shows I ever taped, and... uh you know, he's gone on to become a very good friend of mine. Him and his wife have come here to visit and stay for a weekend and all kinds of adventures and, uh, you know, has just really become a, a good friend and someone I, I can pick up the phone and call at like one in the morning when I'm drunk and, uh, he'll be there to listen. So that's, that's, everybody needs <laughs> friends like that. To the Discordians, he's known as the Reverend Houdini Kundalini of the Church of Unwavering Indifference. To the Luchadors, he's known as El Gogo. He's also a crockpot historian, I'm told now, as well as a supermarket psychic. And he has a new book out titled Happy Trails to High Weirdness, a Conspiracy Theorist Tour Guide. I am, of course, talking about the incomparable crackpot historian himself, Mr. Adam Go Rightly. Welcome back to the show, my friend. Thank you. Sounds like you've done your research. That's that's what I do here on BOA Audio. That's yeah. That's what the audience pays me for. Not really, but, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Well, yeah, thanks as always for having me on. It's always uh, fun. Yeah, I enjoy your drunken uh, calls after the Celtics lose every uh, year. <laughs> <laughs> yes, that's, that seems to be a lot of them. Um, well, for the past four years, I have a long spin. 
<laughs> exactly. Uh, now, I noticed we hadn't had you on the show for a pure esoteric discussion in about three years, so I guess tell people what you've been up to and sort of give them a thumbnail about, about Happy Trails to High Weirdness so we can kind of ease them into this conversation, because I've read the book. I'm well-versed in what it's all about. Oh, boy. I need to get the little spill worked up, because I'm starting to do all these interviews now, plugging this thing. Uh, how would you describe this thing? It's kind of autobiographical, Happy Trails to High Weirdness, a conspiracy theorist tour guide, and it's about my adventures, misadventures, uh, Across this great nation, uh, I think a lot of the book is primarily focused in the uh, West, in the great uh, Southwest. Uh, some of the pieces deal with going to different UFOs and conspiracy conferences and all the colorful people you meet at those events. Uh, and it also chronicles uh, strange experiences I've had in my life, the psychedelic UFO experiences, and as you mentioned, uh, psychic supermarket channeling and uh, astral projection, and uh, the list goes on and on. So it's kind of a uh, fun romp, I think. Uh, I guess I'll let the readers be the judge of that. Absolutely, yeah, it's definitely fun. i got to tell you, the, uh, the section Pilgrimage to Conspiracy Con, that is just about piss your pants funny. It is one of the funniest things I've I've read in such a long time, and I I really enjoy your style of writing too. It's very it's very loose in a sense. It's at one point uh, at one point you call Roger Lear uh, alien abduct alien implant taker outer, which just had me <laughs> on the floor laughing. So I, I highly recommend the book because uh, I think folks for the folks I've been getting a lot of emails from people over the last couple of years to get you back on the show. So. For those folks out there, for sure, you want to pick this one up. Right on. Yeah, it's an interesting book. It kind of covers all these different events and stories you you've looked at over the years. I found it really interesting. Uh, it's it's cool too because it provides a perspective that a lot of people don't get in a sense uh, from like the other side of the proverbial velvet rope at these conventions, which I thought mm-hmm. was interesting because a lot of times. You get a you get a report really on the convention what people were talking about kind of but you don't really sort of see what it's like kind of behind the scenes or you know from the perspective of the people who who are presenters if you will. Oh, exactly. It's always these things are circuses, you know. <laughs> the uh, getting to know all just I mean uh, all the different uh, players, the so-called uh, celebrities and the G and. Uh, conspiratology, they all have their, uh, and things going on behind the scenes, yeah, that people don't know about them or normally see, you know, so it's, yeah, peeking behind that, uh, velvet rope. Now, uh, I should ask you one here, uh, one note that I, I, some of the notes I put in here were just sort of random things that stood out to me to ask you about. Why was, in the in the uh, in the article I'm mentioning now about the uh, pilgrimage to conspiracy con, why was Anthony Hilder selling rotisserie chickens? <laughs> <laughs> what, what, was, what was the story behind that? I think uh, you know they went out to conspiracy con there and they picked up some rotisserie chickens to eat him and his uh, uh, homie, homies, his posse, whoever that was. He had a couple people working there and I think they had extras, you know. So hey. Uh, we're not going to eat this. Let's throw it out on the table with the nine Olivos and the New World Order books and uh, 
sell these bad boys. They look like the the brand that comes from Costco. Yeah, yeah, there's so a picture of them in the book. He yeah. had extra chip. Yeah, he didn't want them to spoil, you know, and doesn't that make sense? I thought it was hilarious. Oh, yeah, I was myself. just really taken aback by that. <laughs> I didn't. I didn't ask him why he was selling rotisserie chickens, but I t- snapped a photo of it, which you will see in the book. Happy Trails to High Weirdness, available now from Amazon.com. There you go. Wow, you're good. <laughs> what I thought was interesting too to stay in this conspiracy con thing is, um, I, I don't know how I could handle that kind of scene in a sense because, like, I find myself just put off by these. I, I like conspiracy researchers, conspiracy mm-hmm. buffs. And I use the pejorative term by choice in, that, in this regard, you know. The people who are, like, super paranoid and everything, I, I just, I feel like that they would start to drive me crazy. And it sounds like, you know, that that was sort of the mood there a lot of times where people were debating, <laughs> is, that, is that guy over there with the government? I think this, I think the government, you know, I think this guy here is with the government maybe. It's like, oh, dude, just shut up. Oh, yeah, that was, uh, I think that, uh, Conference in particular, that's how they launched it, you know, uh, one of the first speakers. Okay, who among us is a uh, plant here? Look around you. There's probably whatever. <laughs> and there are probably, but uh, so what? They, you know, the uh, that whole scene is littered with uh, spooks or semi-spooks when you go to these conspiracy uh, conferences. You know, it's just kind of a territory. Right, right. And I think, too, it's like there probably are guys from the government there, in a sense, but you want, they probably don't really even know much. You know what I mean? They're not, like, in the in the grand conspiracy, mm-hmm. most likely. If anything, they're kind of like they may know, like, some little thing that we don't know about. You know what I mean? They're, they're kind of tickled that they know that, in the sense. Yeah, and some some are, they might not be there on assignment, per se, but they're... Some of them across are retired uh, spooks. They just have an interest in this uh, subject, you know, or spooks on their days off that want to get out and mingle and uh, meet the, uh, you know, the flakes out there in conspiracy and uh, flying saucer land. I don't um I felt I've been under surveillance a few times, which might sound... Uh, Totally paranoid, but uh, you know I could give you a few instances. But there's been some instances where it was pretty obvious that I was uh, talking to someone on a tapped phone. This happened quite a bit when I was uh, working on my book, The Prankster and the Conspiracy. For some reason, interesting. Uh, talking to fo- talking to folks like Robert Anton Wilson and other people who were involved. You know, not only with the Discordian scene back in the day, but also with the uh, counterculture movement of the 60s. And these people kind of uh, stayed, uh, you know, politically active. And Robert Anton Wilson was an interesting case. And I mentioned this little story in the book. I got to know Wilson uh, somewhat uh, pretty good when I was uh, working on that book, The Conspiracy. He had been friends with uh, Kerry Thornley back in the day, and uh, during the uh, period we were corresponding uh, a bit, uh, Wilson's handle, I just recalled this the other day, was Moynihan. <laughs> he used that name. Say Moynihan? You, you broke up a little bit on me there. Moynihan, you said? 
Shan, whatever that little tidbit means, people who courted with him back in the day. And uh, at, during one period, he was uh, see, seeing all his email correspondence to John Poindexter, huh. who at that time was uh, overseeing the, uh, it's called the uh, Office of Information Awareness that was launched after uh, 9-11. Yeah. And they were based, yeah, big uh, spooky organization that was, Kind of monitoring uh, and uh, spying on uh, spying domestically on American citizens. They kind of got shut down or changed their name or merged with another agency. But uh, you know, so I saw those emails from Wilson. I go, what, what the heck are you doing? Emailing, <laughs> CCing all your correspondence to John Poindexter. Rationale was. Uh, well, you know, they're probably uh, spying on me anyway, so I want to make their I can make their job a little easier and maybe they can uh, uh money they'll have one less employee to uh monitor me and he said also it amuses me that uh John Point the uh, reading models. Are you there, dude? You're breaking up pretty bad now. Um, shall we go to a uh, phone? Yeah, let's go to that. Let me make this point, though, because I was thinking about this after I said what I had said about people being paranoid about the government. There's certainly plenty of evidence that there's some nefarious sort of things going on, you know, like the, the whole thing with Danny Casolaro and, and even Jim Keith. Like, these guys did die under mysterious circumstances, but it's like, I don't know what you have to do to get the government to go over the line and go after you, I guess. is the <laughs> If you're just a fan, I think you're okay, but, you know, yeah. at some point you cross some line that we don't quite know yet, and and then <laughs> well, you know then you wake up in the in the bathtub. Maybe I almost crossed that line upon occasion. I like you know uh, to um, perhaps delude myself into believing that uh, I amuse the alphabet soup agencies. That's why they let me do my thing. <laughs> yeah, I'd like to think so. I mean, you're 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 not out there trying to like take down the new world order. You're mm-hmm. just sort of like showing that the emperor has no clothes. Oh, I wouldn't mind uh, taking it down, but uh, I wouldn't want to leave everything in uh, rubbles. Uh, (laughs) (laughs) Need to get by day to day, but, you know, there was some weird stuff. uh, Oh, years ago, uh, primarily when I was working on my Manson book, I got in pretty heavy into the whole mind control angle behind that, and there was some... Ah, somewhat uh, unsettling things that happened to me. This will sound like uh, I'm stark raving bonkers. Maybe we've talked about this before in the past, but there was a uh, period of time. It happened on four occasions, and uh, twice happened at my house. Another two times happened at a Mexican restaurant. And I was uh, sitting down eating dinner in my house, where where I always do on the uh, sofa there, and uh, all of a sudden, I just got incredibly hot. And uh, my wife looked at me, and she could tell something was going on because my face turned uh, beet red, and it was like somebody had, had aimed on me one of those uh, microwave weapons we hear about that can uh, heat up your body temperature, make your head explode, and that type of stuff. Oh, God, yeah. So this happened uh, two occasions at home when I was sitting in the exact 
same position eating dinner and you know there's a window that somebody could have been beaming one of those crazy devices now i'm not saying that's what happened but you know when these things happen to you and you're in con to conspiracy research you know you start thinking oh wow you know is this what's going on and the same thing happened at a mexican restaurant oddly enough we were this is in our where we live here a little small community and I was, it happened when I was sitting in the exact same table in the exact same chair. So it was like if uh, somebody was could beam something through a window, they could hit me again. And the same thing happened. My body heated up. My head turned red. I, you know, you're wondering what the hell is going on. It lasted for a few minutes, and it subsided. Weird. So, so you probably, you know, might think I'm uh, nuts. And I, I'm not saying it was some microwave... Uh, thing beamed at me, but uh, who knows, could have been something I ate. It all seemed kind of odd that the way it, that transpired. It happened during a short period of time, and it never happened again. Um, this was also during the period when I was interviewing Ira Einhorn for um, Greg Bishop's The Excluded Middle magazine, and if you're not familiar with but Ira Einhorn, he was a pretty major player in the late 60s, uh, 70s. He was involved in the counterculture and got heavily into uh, suppressed technology, sharing uh, Tesla technology through this whole network of people he had. And he was also involved with uh, the UFO scene. And, and anyway, he got uh, ar arrested uh, for murdering his girlfriend during this period in the late uh, 70s. He claimed it was a CIA setup, all this. I'm not sure if you're familiar with Einhorn. Yeah, I read your piece in uh, the Excluded Middle uh, okay. anthology, yeah. Yeah, so he went on the lam for several years and uh, was in France. He finally got extradited. It didn't seem like they'd ever get him back in the U.S. here to prosecute him, but they did. But anyway, I was interviewing him during the same period that weirdness was going on. I'm pretty positive that my email co correspondence was monitored. And uh, once again, yeah, maybe that's the uh, job of people. Maybe it's uh, I could uh, forgive them for <laughs> wondering what a uh, somebody accused murderer was doing, but uh, maybe it went uh, deeper than that. Uh, so there's been some weird stuff uh, that has happened with uh, one thing, for instance, was uh, I interviewed Robert Anton Wilson for my book, The Prankster and the uh, Conspiracy, and Greg Bishop came with me on that uh, adventure, and he recorded the interview. And, uh, you know, during the time I was uh, interacting with Wilson, I was always convinced his phone was bugged, and a lot of those people who were Discordians back in the day were also involved in the uh, counterculture movement, and uh, every time I'd get on the phone with those folks, I'd hear the telltale click, you know, what's going on? Yeah. Seemed pretty odd. Um, so Bishop uh, recorded that interview, and he was going to take it home and edit it and send it to me. And so I, you know, a couple of weeks passed. Hey, Greg, where's that tape? Oh, I'm, I got it ready for you. I'll get it in the mail here. And, uh, you know, a few months passed by. And, what the hell, man? Uh, <laughs> did you ever send that, Greg? And he said, yeah, I sent it uh, a couple months ago. I never saw the thing, you know. So several months passed. 
I think maybe a year passed, <laughs> and one day the envelope shows up, and it's obvious it had been rummaged through, opened up. Jeez. And uh, so odd stuff like that, uh, particularly during uh, that period. But uh, so you kind of deal with that, and people go through periods of uh, paranoia where you think, uh, you know, eh, it could be delusions of grandeur in a sense that some uh, conspiracy researchers get off on that they uh, think their work is perhaps more important than it is, or it's uh, disturbing certain people more than uh, it might be. Right, so, right. Yeah, you have that element in the conspiracy research scene. You have to have a healthy dose of uh, perspective about, uh, you know, the whole thing, and a sense of humor helps. That's true. That's true. Well, I was thinking about this as you were saying uh as you were talking just now, it's like, it's interesting too, you, you know, I know these guys that you were talking about, the Discordians and stuff, they weren't really sort of in, they weren't really part of like the artistic scene, if you will, but it's interesting, you know, like looking at some of the Tuesday Weld stuff that's in the book, as outrageous as it is, uh, mm-hmm. it's interesting in a way that you see, I, I guess you just don't see really sort of like artists or musicians and stuff, they don't seem to be really trying to like, rock the boat as it, as it would be anymore, in a sense. Do you know what I mean? It's like, it, it seems like there's this disconnect where it's like, enter, the entertainment world stays separate from, from that, unless it's like some politician, some, uh, you know, actor, you know, endorsing yeah. somebody for president. You know, it's just, there used to be sort of like, there was the counterculture, and, and they were sort of like, co-opted with the with the music and everything back back in the day, and now it's just sort of like, you know, you don't really see that as much anymore. Yeah, it was much more... Uh militant, you know, for a period of time, especially with uh, the likes of, uh, well, you had, you had, you know, the yippies and these underground movements and the weather underground who were really radical, and they were kind of tied into some of those groups uh, back then that, uh, you know, it was very uh, anti-war and anti-establishment and uh so, yeah, it's definitely not as militant. You have groups now that, uh, oh, like YouTube that are, uh, uh, politically active, but it's more kind of political, politically correct to take up those causes. Like, right, it's like yeah. charitable stuff. Yeah. So, yeah, you don't, you don't really have the radical politics of the, uh, late 60s, though. You know, there was some, uh, I guess the closest thing we've had. <laughs> To that is this whole Occupy uh, movement, and there's been some uh, artists and musicians getting behind that. Well, what do you think of that whole thing? I mean, we, we're talking about, you know, earlier we said taking down the New World Order. That, that this is uh, kind of like where I'm at with this whole thing. It's just like, if there is a New World Order and everything that we hear about in the conspiracy realm is true, I feel like the, the jig is up. Like, the game yeah. is over here for us. There's no way we can really, you know, do anything about it. Yeah, that that ain't yeah that ain't gonna do anything. The Occupy Wall Street movement, but um, I don't know the the reaction of that whole movement, and I I see some parallels between the whole Tea Party thing, yeah, and the Occupy Wall Street. Their kind of message was similar in a sense, you know. They had it's you know coming from left and right. 
but it was just uh, outrage out of, uh, you know, the, the, the Tea system. Party guys yeah. for things that government was pushing down their throat. And the same thing with Occupy Wall Street, the big, uh, you know, payoff to Wall Street and uh, all those dirty deeds that went down. But, uh, you know, I have mixed emotions. Uh, what are these accomplishing? I, I don't know if... Uh, they really are accomplishing <laughs> anything, uh, uh, but you know, uh, uh, it's good to see some type of uh, political movement and younger folks getting involved again. But you know, also it's like, yeah, how effective is all that? And look what uh, you know in this, these uh, time when the economy is going to hell, and you're. Uh, having to spend all that uh, money on dealing with these situations where these uh, folks are occupying these areas and costing the taxpayers more money. (laughs) Exactly, yeah. I don't know. Yeah, and it's like, you know, I understand these people don't have jobs and shit, but it's like at some (laughs) point... Like, you're not going to find a job by sitting in like in, in the park in New York, like uh, you know, not taking a bath or anything. You know, I mean, I, I, it's like, like I said, I mean, it, to me, it goes back to like this, uh, the watershed moment for me. The, I told you before we started the interview, this is going to be a jam session, so just mm-hmm. bear with me if I get on my soapbox. But uh, you know, like the watershed moment for me was like last year with this whole Bin Laden thing and how everyone was like, oh, it's fake, and you know. You're an idiot if you think that this is real and all this other, like, you know, parroting Alex Jones type stuff. And it was like, you know, my attitude is just sort of like, it's a fundamentally good thing that in in the storybook world that we live in where clearly, like, everything is manufactured by the mainstream media for us to, you know, it's a soap opera. It's like WWF, you know. Mm -hmm. And it's like, in this storyline, which we're forced to live in, it's a fundamentally good thing that this dude is dead. Like, I can't imagine that it's a bad thing. So, like, stop lecturing me about, about why it's, it's, I'm an idiot. <laughs> like, that upsets me, because it's like, I've been in this for like 10 years, dude. I know that it's probably fake, but mm-hmm. at the end of the day, like, you, you kind of have to, like, play the game in a sense. You kind of have to understand what the, what the story we're being told is. And, and try and figure out what what it's all about, in a sense, if that makes any sense. I mean, I'm kind of rambling now, but you, I think you know yeah. what I mean. It's like, come off it, dude. Like, there's no. So what if it's fake? <laughs> well, that's what, that's what I was gonna say. Yeah, <laughs> if it was fake, uh, okay. What next? Right. <laughs> what are you gonna do? What are you gonna do about it? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, are you gonna charter a boat? What What's it matter? <laughs> So to me, and like I said, that was kind of the watershed moment for me where it was like, you know, posting about this stuff on Facebook is not the way to defeat the New World Order, even though it must, some, you know, they think it worked in Egypt. It's like, I don't think, you know, I just, I find myself frustrated. Like, it's it's funny because, you know, the paranormal gives me hope, but the but the parapolitical gives me despair. That's sort of my perspective on, on, on the field at this point, because, you know, what the paranormal is an escape, is like an escape hatch from this situation that we find ourselves in. But, but, you know, the parapolitical sort of like, <laughs> here's where we're actually at, dude. Yeah. And, and it's not good. Mm, yeah. It but, depends where, where your head's at, you know? I mean, I go, I guess I'm in a pretty good 
place these days, and I'm not uh, in some country uh, like Syria, you know, getting screwed over. But That's uh, right. That's true, yeah. We kind of make our own uh, reality, and you got to deal with your own, uh, where you're, yourself first <laughs> before you think about, we can't change the world, you know, so do the best you can with yourself. That's true, yeah. To live in this world and help whoever you can on your small level. We're getting pretty heavy here, man. We need to get back to... Uh... Some of the light stuff? <laughs> no, that's God, I'm just joking. All right, well, well, you do make... I do. I did highlight one of your... Uh, Adam's got me on the Kindle now, folks, so uh, my, my notes are all, all discombobulated because uh, I had to highlight them on the Kindle, but... Um, do, you dig, do you dig the uh, Kindle? I, I think it's pretty cool. I like it, yeah. I got used to the no page numbers, but I, 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 I there's a lot you can do with it. Mm-hmm. You know, and what we're talking about here is you the don't new have book. An actual, actual physical Kindle. You just have the application for your computer, right? And it's free. So for folks yeah. who don't have a Kindle and they want to get Adam's book on the Kindle or a digital copy, they can get it and read it on their computer. Exactly, and a lot of people aren't aware of that. I wasn't aware of that until. I started uh, venturing into this realm with the uh, publisher I'm working with now, Fiji Press. And so, yeah, you know, there's uh, things you can do with this uh, media that uh, obviously you can't uh, do with the old school paper books, you know. So uh, you got to be open to these things. I still love holding a book in my hand, but uh, I'm not going to certainly – I'm going to take – avail myself of any opportunities to reach a larger audience. Absolutely, yeah, yeah. Well, that, that, I was thinking about that as I was reading the computer screen, actually, in a sense, because, uh, you know, you're from the old school. You're from the zine scene. Do, mm-hmm. you, do you look back, you know, do you kind of, you don't strike me as the kind of guy that's sort of like, well, you're, you're on the Kindle now and everything, so you're not, like, behind the times. You don't strike me as the kind of guy that's, like, refuses to get <laughs> on the Internet or something like that. But do you wax nostalgic for the zine scene in a sense when it was a different sort of age back then yeah well it was cool um really uh thinking about the timeline here it was in the uh, late 80s that was before x files and conspiracies talking about conspiracies man it was and uh even this uh Paranormal uh, stuff, uh, ufology was pretty underground, a lot less uh, mainstream than a lot of these subjects have become after X-Files and these other uh, things that have happened in recent years. I mean, you look at the all the uh, stuff on the Internet now, but, uh, you know, this was all pre uh Internet and you know there were networks of folks and this had been going on the whole zine thing since uh, oh the late sixties seventies but it you know it really took off in the uh, mid to late eighties when uh, people had more access to Xerox machines and all that so all these all the heads <laughs> people into weird uh, into the psychedelic scene and conspiracies and all this stuff they started putting out and sharing materials and I happened to stumble upon all that back in the day and that's how I uh, started writing met a lot of you know people like the great bishops of the world with that network back then but it was uh 
Yeah, I do wax nostalgic in the sense that it was uh, it was just a great uh, joy or like a mystery going to the post office box and seeing what would, <laughs> would be in there and what new conspiracies and weirdness you'd be exposed to. And it, uh, it, it was a network, you know. I, I started writing basically because I wanted to get magazines for free and trade. You know, I put out my own uh, zine for a short period of time. And so, yeah, it was a special thing. And that all really evolved uh, some of the really uh, early user groups, Internet user groups back in, yeah, late 80s, early 90s. They evolved out of the zine movement. Some of those early user groups were, you know, devoted to conspiracy and uh, high weirdness, you know, so you can see out of that how this whole uh, scene has blossomed and took off and kind of got out of control. Now now there's so much on the Internet, it's just it's a struggle separating, you know, the uh, signal from the noise anymore like you were talking about <laughs> before with, uh, you know, uh, all this parapolitical uh, stuff that gets pushed down our throat every day on Facebook and whatnot and oh, Alex awful, Jones yeah. and blah 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 blah. It's a lot of noise out there. Right, right. Well it's it's you know, I I was talking about this with Brad Steiger uh on the season finale of uh season six where it was like, you know, back you know, back in the you know, in the fifties and sixties and even the seventies and eighties during the zine period, like I mean, you had to actually sort of Put the work in to get the information. Mm-hmm. You had to like sort of do your pay your dues, if you will, not not in like a pejorative sense, but just to just to figure out the the path you wanted to go down, to figure out yeah. how you were even going to get these things. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now it's like now it's like anybody can get the information, you know, and that's a good thing to for distribution of the information, but it like it's a double edged sword because it really kind of affects the overall content, I think. You know, it's sort of like back in the wrestling boom when kids were wrestling in their backyards and stuff, and it was like, no, that doesn't make you a wrestler. Like, just because you are set up a ring in your backyard doesn't make you a wrestler. <laughs> <laughs> like, you have, you have to have training. You have to, like, know how to do this. You can just whack someone with a chair and say you're a wrestler. That's kind of where we're at, in a sense, I think, in, in this in this paranormal community at, at this point, you know, for better or for worse. Oh, exactly, yeah. I, well, I don't want to start ragging on uh, everybody with a podcast out there, but most of them are crap. <laughs> <laughs> I've, yeah, well, I don't listen to any shows, so I can't say. What's that? I said I don't listen to any shows, so I can't, <laughs> I can't say, but I, well, I, I, I peruse the scene. Uh, I mean, you started this pretty early. When did you start doing your show? Uh, in 2005, so seven years ago. Yeah, and I I did mine. I started in, kind of towards the end of 2006. And it was still kind of uh, new and fertile ground, you know, at that time. It was only a few years ago, but there wasn't that uh, many people doing it. And then it's like, now, it's everybody. One thing I hate, it's... Uh, Doing your show is unique. We can do a jam session, but uh, I can do that with, you know, Bishop going on his show and Visigoth. But so much of it out there is just uh, people having the same guests. Uh, 
<laughs> asking the same questions, guests that just want to uh, come on and read off their uh, cue cards and all that uh, type of stuff. Uh, it's just, uh, once again, it's just uh, too much, you know, and uh, it's a lot of work. Yeah, you say you don't listen. I think it's a lot of work just, uh, just to keep track to of them all. What's garbage and what's uh, worth listening to. So, you know, I have a few go-to uh, shows that I listen to, but, uh, yeah, it's a bit overwhelming at times. I'm now, to keep it from getting too heavy, let's talk about my favorite character in the book. That's my buddy, Jeff Turner, although he doesn't know yet that he's my buddy. Mm-hmm. Uh, <laughs> this guy, what do you now, for the folks who don't know what we're talking about, uh, he's, he's deeply profiled in, in, in the book, and uh, he's also featured as uh, essentially like the star of the film, uh, I think we're alone now. And uh, he's... I, I don't, I, he doesn't have, he's not, you know, he's not employed or anything, so he can't really, I can't, I don't know what you'd call him. I guess he's a, he's a conspiracy theorist slash Tiffany Alyssa Milano stalker, you know. <laughs> I'm not sure what percentage of his time goes to each of these different pursuits, but he's, uh, as you describe him, he's, he's a man not of this world in a sense. But it, you, here's the description that stood out to me that I thought was interesting, because well, I'll read it, and then I'll sort of get to what I was going to say here. You, you describe Jeff as a, a certifiable slob. He is unimpressed with social status or with what you might have to say about those stains on his shirt sleeve. Turner is in many ways a man not of this world, and even if a small percentage of what he says is true, then you sure can't blame the guy for not wanting to play the game of getting ahead or climbing some corporate ladder. In a sense, I feel like there's a little bit of that in all of us who are mm-hmm. a part of this field. Mm-hmm. Like, at some point, you get to the point where you see the world in a, in a, in a, in a far different light than, than that. again, going back to that whole idea that, that the whole, whole reality is framed by the mainstream, if you will. Yeah, and how do you uh, incorporate this into your uh, everyday dealing with people who might not be into all the exactly. <laughs> high weirdness who want to hear this uh, stuff? So... Yeah, for you and I, we're, you know, uh, you can kind of, uh, segregate some of that stuff. We, you know, <laughs> like to, uh, watch sports and do that too, so that makes us somewhat, uh, more normal or relate to people. Uh, Jeff's kind of unique, uh, for a few reasons, well, for a lot of reasons, but, uh, he has a condition called Asperger's. Yeah. Which they talk about in that, uh, movie, I think, uh, which is called I Think We're Alone Now. That's right. Pretty good, pretty good documentary. We can talk about that a little more. But uh, So he has this uh, condition that uh, basically social interactions are uh, very uh, difficult for him, or he, j- he doesn't relate to uh, people like uh, normal people. Uh, <laughs> we relate to each other folks with the Spurgers uh, really don't pick up on a lot of the social uh, cues that uh, uh, quote-unquote normal folks do. So that kind of uh, sets Jeff apart. And also, uh, you know, that he's seen as a stalker, though he doesn't see himself as a uh, stalker. He's more of a uh, devoted fan of not only uh, Tiffany, and but Alyssa Milano. And uh, now he's never uh, 
been convicted or put in jail for uh, so-called stalking, even though people have claimed he's a stalker. But if you ask Jeff, he would uh, say that he actually has a special relationship with these uh, uh, women that has been uh, covered up by mainstream media and uh, consensus <laughs> consensus reality at large, and that it all has to deal with this conspiratorial world that he uh, lives in. And uh, I guess we should tell the story of Jeff Turner to uh, put this in perspective. Yeah, sure. Uh, bring people up to speed on this character. They should definitely pick up the movie, though. Are you still in the movie, or are you still on the cutting room floor? I don't remember which what happened there. Um... Well, I saw the uh, version that was given to me. I'm, I don't know if it's the final version. Okay. To tell you the truth, uh, I was just given a uh, DVD before it was commercially released, and uh, if I'm <laughs> still there, you'll just see a couple seconds of me sitting around a uh, table in a coffee sh <laughs> shop with a bemused look on my face. And, uh, <laughs> Jeff went off, and that's that's part of the thing about uh, his social interactions. He'll he'll get going, and it's it's like there's no stopping the dude, and he isn't really uh, taking in other people's perspectives a lot of the time. He just goes off on these long-winded uh, rants. But uh, I first became aware of him. It's probably oh, quite a few years now, five six. For so years, I belonged to an internet forum having to deal with psychedelic music. And somebody posted to that forum uh, that said they had a source that uh, knew Tuesday Weld and uh, believed that Tuesday Weld was a Illuminati high priestess that had overseen the whole 60s counterculture, had uh, been behind the psychedelic movement, that influenced the music of the Beatles and the Rolling Stones and on and on and on. And um, this is one of those things I picked up on and go, man, that sounds fascinating. Exactly, yeah. So I emailed the uh, person who had uh, posted to the swarm, his name was Douglas Hawes. And I asked him about his mysterious source and he said, hey, uh, well, if you want to meet him, you can come out to Santa Cruz and we'll set up a meeting. That set this whole uh, saga in motion. And so I learned more about uh, Jeff Turner that, uh kind of forget the years now, but it was in the uh, late 80s where there was this big national story broke about this uh, alleged stalker of Tiffany. And this was uh, Jeff Turner. At that time, uh, Tiffany had broken from her parents. She was still underage. But uh, she wanted to, uh, there's like a legal proceeding you can go through to become your own, uh, uh, deal your own, with your own business and basically be seen as an adult. Yeah. And she petitioned the court. What did you say, Tim? Emancipation. There you go. That's the word. Yep. And so um, Jeff Turner was a big fan of her, so he showed up at, in the uh, outside of the court with... Uh, some flowers or something, and a huge samurai sword. <laughs> <laughs> and these were basically gifts for Tiffany, but uh, he was seen as a threat. He was taken into custody, and everything uh, turned out all right. He was released. They saw this guy was kind of harmless, but uh, 
uh, Turner claimed the that uh, he was basically uh, kind of uh, pledged to Tiffany to be her uh, husband by a secret family marriage, and that Tiffany is this uh, royalty. I'm trying to remember if she's Lithuanian or something to that effect, and their roots. Their two families go back many, many years, so this was an arranged marriage. And, uh, you know, kind of, kind of an odd story. Most people thought he was, uh, out of his mind, but, uh, so parallel with this is the whole Tuesday Weld story. And, uh, so, you know, back in the 60s and into the 70s, Tuesday Weld had this huge Illuminati organization. And at some point in the, uh, when Tiffany came around, t- you know, uh, if you see, if you can, uh, perceive Tif- uh, Tuesday Weld as kind of a bad witch, uh, Tiffany is the good witch who, uh, was brought in basically as part of a movement called the All Worlds Movement to bring harmony, uh, to the world and basically in opposition to Tuesday Weld. And so there's these two uh, factions. So uh, this sounds totally. Uh, <laughs> I'm just letting you. Yeah, I'm just. <laughs> this, this is this is kind of the uh, premise. But you know what's odd about all this stuff? When I started uh, looking into some of the Tuesday Weld allegations, it seemed like, man, there's something to this that resonates, that makes uh, some amount of sense. Maybe there's something to the story, you know, and. I uh, put out a couple articles. One was in uh, Paranoia about the Tuesday World Psychedelic Illuminati Conspiracy. That <laughs> was the name of the article. And and if you t- you know you talk to Douglas Haas, I co-wrote that article with him. The Weld family goes back uh, oh, hundreds of years in New England. They're a very prominent family, and there's been politicians and well-placed uh, people in that uh, family, mov- movers and shakers. And as we started disseminating this uh, information, I started having other people contacting me with Tuesday Weld uh, stories out of left field, you know. Uh, uh, and, uh, you know, it's kind of just blowing uh, my mind. It's when you, you start getting pieces of the puzzle uh, uh, from, from different uh, sources saying, yeah, there was something odd going uh on with uh, Tuesday Weld, you know, independent uh, source. One was a uh, psychic in New York I talked to who said she had counseled uh, and advised Tuesday Weld uh, back in the uh, late 70s or so and confirmed that uh, indeed she was uh, part of some uh, cult of some sort, you know. So you start hearing stories like that. And I heard from another source uh, and... uh, this comes from a uh, person who works with uh, MK Ultra mind control victims that she had worked with uh, Tuesday Weld. Yeah. And so you start getting all these other threads, and it's like, well, maybe Jeff doesn't have the story completely right, but uh, maybe there is more. <laughs> maybe maybe it's more than just a confabulated uh, flight of fancy. That there is more to this uh, story. Yeah, it's weird that it's. you wonder if it's almost like a beautiful mind kind of scenario. Mm-hmm. You know, where he like, 
by the sheer nature of things, he sort of connected all these dots, and along the way, he actually has stumbled onto something that that maybe you know that maybe has some nugget of truth to it. Although there's also like shades of like serious like delusions of grandeur, where he says, "I forget who, I forget who the actress was, but who was the who was the actress that was murdered that he said that he said Christopher Walken murdered?" Well, Tuesday Weld was behind that. According to uh, Jeff, right, right. We're, we're talking about Natalie Wood. There you go. Yeah, he says he says that Natalie Wood was protecting him. That's the yeah. that's the delusions of grandeur part. That, that Natalie Wood died as a result of uh, her her you know desire to protect Jeff Turner, and and it's just like how are you well, mixed up in all of these things, dude? Like how you know? Yeah, I find him very interesting. This character. Uh, yeah, there's more to that story too. We. Uh, Working on this film documentary, mm-hmm. California, which is kind of like the film version of Happy Trails to High Weirdness, available now from Amazon.com. <laughs> also, anyway, we're out in San Jose interviewing for this uh, film, and he let the cat out of the bag at that uh, point and uh, revealed to the world that he is Natalie Wood's son. Wow. And uh, This is breaking news here. Well, his stories have basically remained consistent over the years, you know, at least in terms that uh, he always said that as a young kid growing up, he uh, was he knew the Weld or not, not the Weld, the Natalie Wood family, and they're an actual they're a Russian family that lived in the same area, mm-hmm. the South Bay where he was at, uh, and uh, he has. Uh, Russian roots, apparently, to some secret society called the Kaliniki. Getting pretty... <laughs> yeah, we're getting really deep. Getting deep here, but that he was babysitter uh, was Lana Wood back in the uh, day, and that, um, yeah, basically, uh, Jeff was uh, going against uh, Tuesday Weld, you know, during that uh, period, and... Uh, when Natalie Wood died, Natalie was basically trying to shield Jeff, her son, when she was murdered, uh, if she was. <laughs> that's his story. Uh, recently, uh, yeah, after, that was around 1980 or so, uh, yeah. Wood, Wood died. And recently, a, uh, this came to national attention uh, again when the captain of that uh, boat, did she hear the recent uh, interviews with that guy? I heard they were reopening the case or something like that, but I, I don't yeah, know that, specifics that was of it. it. They were reopening the uh, case for some reason. LAPD uh, got more information, but uh, fizzled out once again. But yeah, I thought it was interesting. They opened it up after all these years, and as I said in the interview with uh, Jeff Turner and Douglas Hawes from the book, I never trusted Christopher Walken. Indeed. Well, it's interesting too. I, I had to check that Tuesday Weld's still alive. So I'd be, mm-hmm. I'd be interested to see. Uh, <laughs> I'm sure she would never really like comment on all this anyway. But it'd be interesting to no, see. No, she she never has. It's interesting. Uh, there's when I tell you people coming out with other Tuesday Weld tidbits. Uh, Ken Thomas, who uh, you're perhaps going to interview sometime soon, if he's ever home. Yeah, has a uh, piece in the book about uh, Tuesday Weld, which he discovered from a old episode of Route 66, which uh, 
was was another odd little uh, nugget. Yeah, that was weird. Yeah, there's a lot of weirdness that surrounds this 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 story and this lady and and and, and Jeff. You know, it's, mm-hmm. it, you want to dismiss him at first, but like you said, it keeps getting deeper and more. The the dots actually. At first, you think they're the scribbles of a madman, but then the dots start to connect, and you're like, "Wait a minute, he's he may be on to something." As strange as this is, so I I, I don't feel that uh, I feel you know that uh, Turner and Hawes are sincere, right? And they they uh, tell me that uh, you know these stories have been confirmed about Tuesday. Well, they met with. There was a director, his name's called uh, Henry Jaglum, I believe, and he, uh, I can't remember, he was more popular in the uh, 60s, uh, 70s, and he was, he's another one who uh, Turner and Hawes talked to who confirmed basically uh, their theories, you know, that uh, Tuesday World was a major player, but then I, you know, I asked him, well, he's people ever go on record about this and it said no they want to keep this under covered they're afraid to <laughs> weird that, that so i personally i don't think uh well i think there's like i said before i think there's something to the story i don't think it's exactly as uh jeff presents it but i think uh some of the uh Things he suggests may be true. There you go. That's probably the safest uh, <laughs> way, way to put it. An- another thing I consider sometimes too is like when I was looking into the uh, Kennedy assassination way back when. I got you talk about going down a rabbit hole. As you get into that, if you get, I got pretty obsessed, so I had to read everything. Yeah. And after a while, this becomes a big circle jerk because you got all these different. Uh, Con- competing conspiracies and uh you know it's like uh it becomes more entertainment exactly, <laughs> trying yeah. to get to through to the uh truth and one theory i've considered is that uh these uh major political events or counterculture th- happenings things that go on of major import uh Kind of create a uh, alternate r- reality or multiple reality uh, matrix where all these different theories may exist simultaneously. Interesting. And uh, if you look, ah, uh, oh, there's an author who wrote it. He's a British guy, and damn, his name can't isn't coming to me right now. You, Colin. Uh, Colin Andrews. No, he's another one of those, but uh he basically wrote in his book, this is great, I can't think of the name of the book or the uh, author, but <laughs> yeah, Oswald had that high strangeness component uh following him throughout his life, and if you look into uh, his story, you know, that would explain a lot about... uh You know, there's all one kind of paranormal element of the... Oswald story were all the doubles of Oswald that were going around simultaneously and a lot of people suspected that all these Oswald 
doubles were basically pretending to be Oswald to set him up prior to the assassination yeah. to make him look bad. But maybe it's even weirder than that, and there are some actual paranormal doppelganger Oswalds running around causing all this uh, chaos. Well, you do. And, and, yeah, and that, uh, yeah, and there's so many bizarre theories around JFK's assassination. This was such a extremely um, extremely what just you know such a critical event in the nation in the uh, history of the nation and the planet that it opened up this whole weird psychic uh, component to the story right right well it's it's yeah it's interesting because it's like there could be yeah, I was thinking about this today. I was driving around thinking about our conversation tonight, and it was like, <clears throat> you almost, you know, just, just to sort of take two theories, it's almost like there could be even just two at work at the same time, in a sense, where it could be like mm-hmm. this was a political assassination that was also orchestrated as some kind of magic ritual. I'm a big fan of the of the King Kill 33 theory. Yeah. Not, not that I endorse it or anything. <laughs> Let's stop there before anyone gets on their blogs. But, yeah. you know, but I'm a big fan of it. You know, I'm always a fan of the strange and unusual, and that's certainly the strange and unusual. So, it's, you know, it stands to reason, you know, the same kind of idea where people say, you know, 9-11, there was, it was part of some mass sacrifice ritual thing. Mm-hmm. It's like there could be two concurrent threads running in, in our own reality that we don't even I mean, shit, man. We don't even know about those two. <laughs> like, yeah. we don't even told the truth about either of those those uh, plots, if you will. And yeah, you can extend that to uh, UFOs, obviously. Oh, absolutely, yeah. There's a lot, a lot of things that could be going different uh, realities or theories all going on parallel to each other, intersecting with each other. Uh, who knows? Yeah, yeah. So it's it's you know that's the that's the fun part, I guess you could say, about the mm-hmm. conspiracy element to it. You know, this whole like police state we're fucked thing. I don't really, you know, I can't get on board with that. Well, I'm, I'm too you, much of a you know, I'm too much of a of a you know, eat, drink, and be merry type of guy. <laughs> yeah. What, what do you what do you do with that? It's just right. Uh, it's negative. It might. <laughs> might be some reality to it obviously but if that's uh, if you dwell upon that then you might as well just blow your brains out <laughs> exactly and we don't right endorse that it. yeah <laughs> <laughs> now I've noticed you know over the years you keep kind of coming back to the Manson thing what what is it about Manson that uh, you know that sort of gets your juices flowing so much and don't answer till I open my Red Bull so hold on okay there we go there we go. Now you can now you can answer. What you know? What is it? What is it about Manson that sort of has captivated you all these years? I'm tired of Manson. <laughs> oh, okay. <laughs> he didn't get parole the other day, so. No, that was a big surprise. I know. He, he he doesn't even show up for his parole hearing. Did you see the new picture they released? Yeah, needs a haircut. He's getting old and gray. Uh, Seventy-seven. Um. <sighs> Kind of what has brought me back to it, you know, I wrote that book originally quite a while. I started writing it in the late 90s, and it wasn't done till like, uh, 2000, and I spent 
a year trying to get it published with an agent was taking it around. It didn't get published, and it was like, oh, man, I put a lot of time into this thing. And then around 2001, the whole self-publishing print-on-demand thing yeah. came up, and I discovered that. So back then, I published it myself, and it did pretty well over the years, you know, uh, over a seven, eight-year period. Uh, I think it probably sold 10,000 books or so, which is uh, oh wow, pretty damn good for, you know, self-published thing. But uh, I was never happy with it, though, because, uh, you know, uh, one, one of the uh, hazards of self-publishing sometimes, it helps to have uh, other people, you know, when you get a uh, book published, at least back in the old days, you working with a publishing company and they have copy, copy editors and all this to review the thing. So there was a lot of uh, stuff in there, typos, misspelling, things that were just driving me crazy. Yeah, I can see Over yeah, the years, I wanted to you fix know, the them. oversight that you normally would Yeah, do. so I wanted to fix them. You know, as I became a writer, I started seeing a better writer, <laughs> <laughs> more accomplished or more of a craftsman, I saw, ah, oh, man, I'd like to do this over. So the opportunity arose in 2009 with uh, Creation Books, a quote-unquote legitimate uh, publisher. And so that was an opportunity to re-edit it and put in some new things. So here we go again. It's almost 10 years, 2009. Yeah. And that kind of kept it going, and I was on coast to coast, and that was a good uh, shot in the arm with Ian Punnett. Uh, then uh, <clears throat> when uh, Creation published it, there was a section called The Who's Who of the Manson Family that was in the original book. Creation Books uh, chose not to use it for the updated version, so I had that sitting around, too. I had updated that, so that was like, I want to finish out this saga and somebody will publish that book, The Who's Who of the Manson Family, as a separate volume, then I'll be done with all that. So that came out like a year ago and I, with a publisher called Fiji Press, and The Who's Who of the Manson Family is kind of a guide to, it's similar to a book I saw done on the Kennedy assassination years ago where it lists all the ma prominent players in the Kennedy assassination. Yeah. And so it's like a resource guide. So in a nutshell, that's why this uh, has continu <laughs> continued. I, I don't know if my interest in Manson is as high as it was uh, when I started uh, looking into the story uh, 10 or 15 years ago, but I kind of had unfinished business. So uh, I see what you're saying. Yeah, you had like all this stuff that you'd worked on. It's sort of... And it, it yeah. continued to kind of suck me back in, too. I'm still, I'm seen as an expert and an authority <laughs> on the <laughs> subject, so, and it's what I'm best known for, so I guess you get kind of tired getting pigeonholed, and, uh, also you start working on different book projects, and it's like, uh, somebody wants to interview me about Manson, it's like, oh, God, I gotta refresh my brain here. Right, <laughs> right. There's a lot of details, and, uh, only so much capacity in my uh, poor, burnt-out brain. Well, let me ask you just sort of a straight-up question, and, and you can, you know, uh, feel free to go in any direction you want, but 
it's interesting with the Manson thing that it's been attached to like a myriad of it's also been attached to a myriad of conspiracy theories. Yeah, that's what got me interested in it initially. Do you think at the, at the end of the day, having looked at this for quite a long time and sort of gone over and over and over it again, do you give much credence to the idea of these conspiracy theories, or do you think it's more synchronistic coincidences that maybe tie could connect Manson to other conspiracy theories, and maybe he was just a nutter and, and the mainstream story is is true, or, or somewhere in the middle of all that? You can uh, connect uh, Manson to everybody and his mother. Yeah. Which is one of the weird things. That might be partly synchronicity or whatever, but the guy uh, got around. Yeah, I think there's uh, there's some legitimate conspiracies, but they're a little perhaps mundane, if that's the right word. Uh, More mundane than some of the uh, more mind control stuff. Yeah. I delve into uh, the uh, part about Manson being heavily ensconced in the uh, music scene and the Hollywood uh, scene that got covered up. That became a conspiracy. That was uh, hushed up. He, you know, they were involved in drugs and dealing drugs and uh, <clears throat> knew the people that got uh, murdered. It wasn't a random. They picked a house out of the blue, which was the popular uh, theory and how, how Bugliosi uh, convicted them, which you could see as a uh, cover-up yeah. conspiracy. So all of that, you know, that whole uh, scene, his involvement in uh, drugs and perhaps with the uh, mafia, I look into that in the book and that whole music and uh Hollywood scene, uh, you know, for many years, uh, they tried to sweep that under the, uh, carpet. I don't think the true facts will ever really, uh, come out about the case. Interesting, yeah. In that regard, yeah. Yeah. Dear Mr. President, there are too many states nowadays. Please eliminate three. I am not a crackpot. You're listening to Banal of America Audio. I used to be with it. But then they changed what it was. Now what I'm with isn't it, and what's it seems weird and scary to me. It'll happen to you. Another part of the book, actually, that I enjoy quite a bit because I'm a big uh, Bigfoot fan, is uh, your your coverage, if you will, of the uh, of the Bigfoot press conference. I was in California when that happened. I wish I had oh. known you were going to be there. I would have made the trip up to uh, t- to take in the take in the madness myself. But uh, it was quite a quite an interesting uh, couple of days there for for the paranormal scene. Yeah, it was uh, that was one of those deals uh, out of the blue. You know, I heard about uh, there's going to be a Bigfoot press conference, and they're going going to unveil. Wasn't really sure clear what was <laughs> we were going to see. You know, the rumors they're going to bring evidence of Bigfoot. So you know, a lot of us. And the emails started flying around. Yeah, what's going on here? They're going to actually have a actual Bigfoot at this uh, press conference. The rumor was that these guys from Alabama or wherever the heck they were from had found a Bigfoot or shot a Bigfoot and had it on ice. And all these rumors were swirling around. And you know, about a week before the, uh, I heard about it. You know, the conference was going to be. In a few days, and so I thought, man, I'm not too far from that. (laughs) 
This would be cool to check that out. And it could be Bigfoot, man. I could be part of history. And so I uh, weaseled a uh, press pass. I got a... Trying to remember how this happened. I got a press pass from some radio station in St. Louis. Oh wow! <laughs> <laughs> they must have thought you were really a dedicated reporter to come all the way from St. Louis. Yeah, and so, and it was, it was kind of phony balloon. I could have got in with a out of press pass, but, uh, but the, the, you know they had the media from all over the place. Uh, I think there might be some photos in the uh, book, you know, CNN and on and on. There was probably. Yeah, I think they had like live coverage of the press conference on CNN yeah, yeah. for a little while. It was a, uh, it was pretty amazing. Although I'm looking at the book now, and I'm, there's a there's a fantastic picture of uh of a very diligent and serious reporter interviewing a man in a Bigfoot costume. That, uh, yeah, that I think yeah, sums I up the whole event pretty much. <laughs> <laughs> and. Uh, so yeah, it was the uh, circus to end all uh, circuses, and I think a lot of us know the uh, story that it was a big uh, con. But uh, yeah. this the guy. Well, who was the ringleader? You know, Biscardi. Uh, yeah. Well, he claims that he was duped by these uh, hayseed boys from Alabama or wherever the hell they were from. I can't remember now. It was Georgia? Yeah, Georgia. Georgia. And, um, but, uh, you know, somebody uh, probably should have driven a stake through his heart because he's still out there uh, doing stuff. I don't mean that. Yeah, <laughs> no, I know what you it, mean, yeah. And it wasn't the first time, I guess, you know, I started looking into Biscardi's past. And uh, there was a similar incident that happened on Coast to Coast. Uh, yeah, only a few years earlier, yeah. Yeah, and it was the same deal, uh, sort of. And he's still out there. You know, his backgrounds are uh, Las Vegas uh, promoter, uh, Wheeler Diller types. So. Yeah. But uh, yeah, it was quite a spectacle, and probably set back Bigfootology a hundred years. <laughs> Are you ever going to take? Uh, you know. Yeah, it's going to be tough for, if anyone ever gets the real Bigfoot to get that kind of coverage again. So. I mean, this this was just a total joke. Uh, Aside from the, as I said, very diligent reporter interviewing the Bigfoot man, what mm-hmm. what, what was sort of like the mood of the of the other reporters? You know, because you were kind of in the press pool there for a while. Were they were they you know sort of rolling their eyes at this whole thing, or were they actually you know or did it, did it dawn on them at some point that they were being had? Uh, I would say um, three quarters of the way through the press conference, uh, questions started coming up. You know. <laughs> like, where's the fucking Bigfoot, man? Well, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I was in protective custody somewhere, but it was, you know, there, uh, when they showed their quote-unquote evidence, it was DNA samples. Yeah. <laughs> and as I recall, there were three samples, and two were inconclusive, and the third uh, was uh, the sample of a possum. And... uh and Biscardi somehow made this sound like it was evidence of Bigfoot and that uh, the possum came from the, like, uh, they got it out of the intestine of the Bigfoot. And, <laughs> and he also had photographs there he was going to show, and he was showing these uh 
photographs, uh, you know, from his podium as I couldn't see much. And uh, so anyway, when uh, the thing concluded, so he said, I only have a number of uh, photos which I can give out here. And, you know, the <laughs> he really knows how to work an audience. He had people eating out of their hands to get one of those photos, but they're all press guys, so they want something to take back. Right. But, uh, these photos were the lamest things, uh, too, you know, so... I didn't know what to think when <laughs> once it was done. You, you can probably see these photos too on the internet. Oh yeah, I'm sure it was. Uh, that whole thing was a mess. Yeah, and uh, so the story went on from there, you know. And eventually, they <laughs> guys get, found out it was a um, Bigfoot uh, suit stuffed with uh, dead animal parts and stuff. Yeah. Yeah. In somebody's freezer in Georgia. In retrospect, you kind of like, you know, you wonder why no one just like asked the question like, you know, if you have the Bigfoot in Georgia, what the hell are you doing in California doing the press conference? Like, wouldn't you just have the press conference wherever the hell the Bigfoot was? Well, and they were kind of intimating uh, <laughs> it, the, Bigfoot, the Bigfoot had been moved. And they weren't disclosing where it was. And uh, What a mess. They, they were working with, oh, that's another thing. They were working with uh, scientists or uh, people from universities or something. And that was a bunch of crap, I think. Uh, they never uh, identified who, who those uh, folks were that were supposedly going to do the analysis on the thing. But... Uh, Oh, God. Now, you know, there was one investor, I believe, that uh, put $10,000 into the project. I don't know if he ever got his money back. Oh, I'm sure it got tied up in all kinds of... Uh, and uh, Scardy played shit. dumb. He said he was duped by him and all of this, even though he said at the conference, I saw it, I touched it, I probed it, it put uh, gave me chills. This is the real deal, folks. And then late, later he said, well, actually it wasn't him, it was some of his uh, operatives that actually touched it and prodded it and smelled it and all this. But he'd been given bad information. That seems to happen a lot to him. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you'd think by now he would have trust issues, but... The guy can work an audience, though. That's for sure, yeah. He sounds like an old-time Southern preacher type. <laughs> Well, he's more like a slick uh, Vegas. Uh, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. What about Roswell? Now you cover Roswell a little bit in there. I've never been. Is, is it worth the trip? Do you need to make it on the big? You know, you think it's better to go when it's uh, in the book. He kind of suggests that it's even it's at its best on a, on you know on a silver anniversary type moment. You know, uh, probably so. If you're going to do it, go on the next silver anniversary, and that was 2007. So the next one would be. Uh, Five years from now. Maybe we can do that. Uh, what, the 70th? Yeah. It's, um... So if we wait 10 years, it'll be the 75th. So that'll be even... Mm -hmm. That'll be the real, uh... But, you know... We'll see. We don't know I, who's going to be around by now. It's kind of fizzled out. Uh, they don't even... I talk about, uh, I think, uh... In my piece on Roswell, Roswell called, uh... Roswell, that bitch ain't dead yet. Yeah. That's a, that's a Peter Robbins uh, phrase. I talk about uh, how I, uh, Greg and I were part of the uh, parade 
Yeah, yeah. Bishop and I, and that was a, that was a lot of fun. Now here uh, this year, they're not even doing the parade. Yeah, I heard it's been kind of downscaled the whole uh, operation there. Yeah, and before, uh, at least in 2007, that's the only one I'd ever been to. There was two uh, kind of event venues. One, you have the UFO Museum, and then uh, I was over at uh, it's like uh, oh, I don't know uh, community center type uh, place, real nice uh, facility. So you had speakers there as well. Those were the speakers that uh, Guy Malone brought in. It was myself and Bishop and. Uh, well, they had a few more. Redfern, Stephen Bassett, on and on. There was a lot of uh, folks there that year. And so, yeah, you could pick and choose. and it, Just a lot of things going on. But, uh, yeah, I hear, uh, you know, this year it's just basically based out of the uh, UFO Museum. And it's uh, a lot of the same speakers they've had year in, year out. Right, right. Well, I have a friend... Uh a friend of the family who actually lives in Roswell. And he said that, uh, he said that the town could do so much more with the UFO thing, mm-hmm. but they don't really, I don't know, that it's kind of like, there's, there's no one really to sort of, I don't mean like just the, just the celebration anniversary or whatever, but just like year round it seems like, uh, uh, I, I don't know, it seems like it's kind of fallen into dis, disrepute or, or, or disrepair, if you will. Mm-hmm. That's because he told me that at the museum, and I can't, you know, this is all secondhand, folks. I haven't been to the yeah. museum, so. But he told me, like, at the museum, there's, like, displays and stuff with, like, misspellings on them and things like that that surely have been pointed out before that no one's bothered to fix or anything. So it's like, I don't, I don't, again, I can't vouch yeah. for that, but it's like, it, I imagine it's something like the, uh, the Unarius building, if you've, if you've ever been there. It's a little more, there's a little more. Stuff in the uh, UFO museum. It's not bad, you know. I yeah, I'm sure there's uh, misspellings and whatever your friend uh, picked out, and it's you know something you can you'll see once and probably won't go back to see again. But uh, it's it's uh, uh, it's worth checking out just because it's Roswell and it has, right. has that uh, history going on there. Right. Well, it might be interesting. I've always thought about, you know, if I had the the wherewithal or whatever, you know, to to sort of do a, I would be interested to sort of see like a like a before, during, and after the Roswell Festival. A look at that. Do you know what I mean? Like the real, uh, like the real day after Roswell. Like when all the UFO people leave town. What's it really like? Oh, I, I I've been there. Yeah. When uh, you know, totally uh, not during the uh, festival, and it's. Uh, not much going on in Roswell. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, it's just a typical small uh, New Mexico town. It's kind of southern uh, New Mexico, so it's almost uh, similar to Texas, uh, Texas, New Mexico. It, it it doesn't really stand out, other, you know, <laughs> other than that uh, during the festival time and you know the uh, UFO tie-in, and you know during the off season, it's uh, there was mo- more going on in the uh, past. You had the UFO museum, then the Alien Resistance Movement by Guy Malone was across the street from the UFO museum for a while, and they took right. another position. So you had that kind of dynamic uh, 
going on there, but uh, normally Roswell's a sleepy little town. At one point, uh, this was during, uh, it was after the 2007 uh, festival, there was uh, a push. They had some investors that were going to make a amusement park uh, with an uh, alien theme. Oh, wow, that would be and cool. They, also, they had the plans all drawn up and city approvals, but... Uh, and I think the uh, recession hit, and it all uh, oh, that sucks. Fell apart. See, I'd make a trip for that. <laughs> that would be awesome. It yeah, Roswell's worth uh, checking out. Uh, I'm sure I'll get there eventually. Yeah, I don't want to say don't go to Roswell. Oh no, <laughs> going to the festival. It's it's worth uh, passing through. But uh, these people that run these things need to start inviting me to some of these events. What the hell? Mm-hmm. Ace. Yeah. <laughs> You gotta pimp yourself, man. I know, I know. Well, <laughs> I'm too oh, much of a wild uh, child for him. Now, what is it you think about? I was just like tweaked a little bit by uh, the section in the book on on uh, the cults in Southern California. Why do you think that it gives rise to so many weird uh, groups down there? Just because the, the desert part, you know, and the abandoned ranches and shit like that. Yeah, maybe it was just the uh, westward uh, movement, all those uh, restless souls who start crackpot cults. It's like the, well, I'm not calling the Mormons crackpots per se, but they got pushed out and they kept moving west till they ended up in Utah and Arizona. Yeah. Maybe that has something to do with it. Maybe there's a certain energy, uh, you know, it's kind of like uh, if you look into... Uh, history of UFOs and paranormal sightings, a lot of them happen near uh, hot spots, you know? Yeah. And so maybe that's similar, like I talk about uh, three cults that were, in, uh, one of them was the Manson family that were in that uh, area where uh, Spawn Ranch was located near Chatsworth there in the, in the Santa Susana Mountains. And so, yeah, maybe there's something, some energy or something that attracts those people there. Or, yeah, maybe it's more remote-type remote, remote type, uh, locations where they can uh, do their weird activities and uh, get away with them. Yeah. That's strange. There's a story in there about some little kid that's, like, locked in a box for, like, 56 days. It's just <laughs> yeah. terrifying. Like, what is that's wrong with these people? Yeah, that was the uh, Solar Lodge of the OTO, and they were perhaps connected to uh, Manson. It's another one of those things that uh, Ed Sanders talked about his book, The Family, that connected the Manson family to the Solar Lodge that were also out in the uh, uh, California desert. Yeah, and one story is how they had locked that... Uh, kid in a crate for 56 days as punishment because he burned up their uh, basically their main compound there out in Blythe California yeah yeah horrifying <laughs> it's, it's uh, like just twisted stuff I think at one point like he said something like they, they, they contemplated dousing him in LSD or, or gasoline or something or something crazy like that and just Really messing with, like, like being locked in a little box for 56 days wasn't enough. Yeah. <laughs> it was like, no, he's, he hasn't learned his lesson yet. It's like, dude, all right, <laughs> you keep the fucking dap, man. 
Oh, well, that's how some of those uh, cult leaders get on those uh, power trips. And That's uh, true, yeah. You know? Now, I didn't realize till I read the book that you are an avid practitioner of the theremin. Uh, not exactly, but... Uh, You're an amateur I, thereminist? I, I can make noise. It, I have a uh, theremin. And I've been... Uh, I've, I've actually played it uh, during live performances, and I write about that in the uh, book. I did a yeah. theremin demonstration at a uh, UFO conference called the Retro UFO, which is going to be happening again uh, this year. Every year, it, uh, well, not every year, but uh, it's taking place out at uh, the Integratron in Landers, California, which is nearby Giant Rock, where, you know, for uh, years and years... Uh, they had the, the big giant rock uh, spacecraft conventions and starting in the late 50s all the way through the 70s with all those great uh, contactees. And so back in, uh, I think, 2005 or 2006, Barbara Harris, who lives out in that area, organized the first retro con. I, I spoke at that, and so did our friend Mr. Bishop. Oh, yeah. Then I... In 2002, I went out there again, and I did a little uh, theremin demonstration. I also have a synthesizer, so I played a few uh, songs. So that I write about that in the uh, book as well. Um, I would not uh, say that I can actually play the theremin. <laughs> All right. But I can, I can make uh, noises that accompany music. Uh, and, well, I would actually did uh, one tune uh, the following year. That was Retro UFO 3, myself and a friend. Joe, we have a band called Good News for Modern Man, and I used the theremin on one of the uh, songs called UFO Lane, which is a pretty cool song. It recounts uh, the psychedelic UFO experience I had back in the late 70s, which I write about in the book, uh, Happy Trails to High Weirdness. And I played that song in the Integratron, like I said, with my friend Joe, and he was the same person who had that experience with me. Oh, wow, that's cool. With the psychedelic UFOs. And so we've had that uh, kinship there, that kind of simpatico, going back to when we were in high school. We were writing music, playing music way back then. And I think that might have uh, contributed to us seeing a UFO together, that we had that kind of... Uh, communication, brotherly, telepathy type thing going on there? Yeah, uh, that, yeah. That might have something to do with us seeing those things. Right. It goes back to sort of the idea that all this, all the paranormal at least, not so much conspiracy, but the paranormal, like, it's definitely, you know, forgive the cliche or whatever, but it's, it's definitely like in the eye of the beholder. It's definitely like something that seems to, it, it's, it's a, uh, you know, it's, it's codependent, I yeah. think might be the best way to put it, you know? It's like that old thing about if your tree falls in the forest and no one's there to see it, it's like, does it really fall? It's almost like that with the UFOs. Yeah, and sure, that, that was kind of the, well, codependent in a lot of different ways. I think it's codependent on the, uh, experiencer and the whatever they're experiencing it's a uh, 
some kind of a mutual thing. There's some energy out there, and we interpret it through our own brains to see what we want to see, you know. Right. Been down this path before, whether it's a UFO or whether it's a green man or whatever. And I think, you know, also codependent that uh, myself and my friends saw that. You know, we were both on hallucinogens and our brains were tuned to some certain frequency or something. We opened up a dimension or able to peer through a uh, some type of window. And as I talk about uh, in the book, Happy Trails to High Weirdness, available through Amazon.com. Uh, <laughs> I'm wondering if you're under some kind of mind control. You? <laughs> <laughs> as, I, as I talk about in that uh, uh, book, uh, basically the stuff we saw, you know, we we're describing it uh, to each other, and we we're both seeing the same crazy stuff, you know, and it was out there, you know. So as I say in the book, Happy Trails to High Weirdness. <laughs> As I say in the uh, book, if we were hallucinating, we were hallucinating the same thing, and it was a dual hallucination. So, you know, what was going on there? Uh, you know, we did have that, and we do have this telepathic simpatico thing. Who knows? We could have been somehow transferring these images back and forth to our own heads, you know? Yeah. Who knows? There's so many uh, explanations or so many rabbit holes you can go down uh, looking into, you know, UFOs or whatever. Uh, I've been contemplating this whole experience for a long time, you know. When we first saw these things, I thought they were genuine ETs because that was kind of my framework back then. Like most people when they first kind of contemplate it. And as I got exposed to more stuff, I started entertaining a lot of uh, notions. But, uh, you know, that's kind of my uh, latest, uh, or I'm coming from, theory for the last uh, several years is that, yeah, we we play a part in this experience. Sometimes it seems to be tied into altered states. Whoever, you know, except for these big sightings like Chicago or the Phoenix Lights, if you start looking at uh, people, the abductees and contactees, back in the days, it all seems to be tied into, uh, certainly with the old contactees, they all talked about going into trance states and channeling before they saw the UFOs, but the whole abductee thing is similar as well, you know, a lot of those happen while the uh, victims, quote-unquote victims, abductees, whatever, are in some type of semi-sleep state or trance, and a lot of times you'll see the uh, uh, the aliens uh, like materializing or walking through walls and all of this stuff, and it seems more of a uh, tapping into some window, some alternate dimension, as opposed to them actually... Uh, coming here from millions of billions of miles in the old nut and bolt craft and once again, yeah, covering a lot of the same ground you've covered with Bishop and Redfern and a few others, but uh, right, right. Well, it's, we're, we're kind of on the same wavelength, you know? Yeah. My relationship with UFOs has sort of changed over the years, uh, especially like the last couple of years. And lately I've been able to crystallize, I guess, my perspective on it in the sense that it's mm-hmm. like, I look at UFOs as like an ex-girlfriend at this point. 
Like, we had some great times. You know, Roswell, that was great. You know, yeah. we, we banged on the beach or whatever, you know, and, you know, the 70s was awesome and the 80s was great and we had some good times, but it's like... Phoenix, I re- remember Phoenix. Yeah. Who could forget? And But it's like now now she's not returning your calls. It's like she's, you know, and, and like someone wrote to me about me being down on UFOs all the time, and it's like when the UFO does something for me to come back, then I'll then I'll come back. <laughs> but I'm tired of leaving voicemails and not getting any response. It's kind of that mm-hmm. that's my perspective on on the UFOs yeah. at this point. I feel like they've I feel like the UFOs have dumped us, even though they even though people see them all the time still. I, I just feel like they're you know. They've moved on. Well, maybe. You know, Who knows? <laughs> uh, uh, somebody had that perspective uh, ten years ago, where you're at now. Yeah. They just started ten years earlier than you did. That's it's probably true. Yeah. It's when you're first exposed to the stuff, and it's like I see new people coming into the field, and they, one of the first things they latch on to is the whole disclosure thing. <laughs> And for somebody who's been around the block for a while, it's like, uh, okay. Right, right. Ain't, ain't going to happen that way. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I've long since given up on the disclosure thing. Mm-hmm. That's just sad. You know? But I'm sure you heard about it 10 years ago, and uh, you thought, hey, well, what's going on here? They're getting, they're having people sign these petitions, and they're going to Washington, and they're having a... Uh, that's exactly how it happened. Yeah, yeah. It was, yeah. I hadn't really thought about it for years and years, and then I kind of got interested and started looking at it a little bit, and then it was like, oh wow, looks like they've really, looks like they've really done some good work here in this UFO thing, and they're pretty close to getting this thing solved. That's why. Well, thought, yeah. You know, who, who knows what the <laughs> hell, they re- hell they really did, but uh, that's happened. These disclosure things going back to when the. Modern day of UFO, modern era of UFOs started back in the late 40s, you know. Right. Every decade there was somebody had some type of disclosure movement, and we were very, very close to getting the truth of it. The government needs to kick on down what it knows. Exactly, yeah. So. Ain't gonna happen, folks. Yeah, exactly. Plus, I think. It's a it's a it's a potpourri of all different stuff too. I think you know, like you talk about these Phoenix Lights events and stuff, and those could be like government craft or whatever. But if there are aliens coming here in ships, that that would be the kind of situation where it could be that. But then there are other instances where it's like I find myself completely perplexed, kind of like by what happened with you guys. And you hear these stories about people, and you're like you know, you're in the you know, you're just driving down the highway or whatever, and you see a UFO. And, like, they think about the UFO, and the UFO, like, responds to it. Yeah. Responds to the person. Like, to me, that seems so even further beyond the what what could be possible. You know what I mean? It, that, that, that's akin to, like, looking up at an airplane, thinking about the airplane, and then the airplane, like, turns and points toward you. It's like, how, how is that even possible, dude? Unless we're dealing with something even way beyond a spaceship. Yeah, in my experience... So outlandish, you know. It's like it's kind of it's got beyond UFOs because it started as uh, you know classic shaped UFOs, and it turned into these comical. One was like I described psychedelic uh, thing with propellers. 
<laughs> you know, it's like uh, they were playing with us, you know. Yeah. There, there was that element going on. It was more than uh, the ship responded and started heading towards us. It started like doing a uh, Las Vegas comedy routine. Exactly. So it's like what <laughs> you know. Is it is it a projection? Is it you know, or is it? I think you make the point in the book. Really, it's like is it is it just visible to you guys and no one else? Which I think is oh. what what was the case. Yeah, that was one of the things I was going to say when you said codependent. I remember we uh, saw this stuff, and I was like, afterwards, I was real passionate, and I was kind of amped up. I I think I was somewhat half hysterical, but I was going around telling people what we saw, and my friend Joe was saying, chill out, man. (laughs) You're going overboard with this stuff. And our perspectives changed over the years. Uh, too, you know, after a while I was like, oh, I don't know if we saw aliens and my friend Joe for a while thought we did but I remember at one point we had a friend, we were this high school guys but this guy, he was a high school chum, very wisely said well, I, we don't, I don't know what you guys saw but whether it was real or whatever, but it was real for you guys, it meant something to you and that's what you need to take out of that, you know. Right. You know, we were in a pop, very populated uh, city, so. Uh, but uh, Fresno, where we saw it, is a. I think it's kind of a window area. It's had a history of UFO sightings. In fact, it's uh, where, uh, you know, the actress Anne Hesch? Oh, yeah. Is that where we went in, crazy? Well, yeah. <laughs> back in 1995, she was up. Uh, Oh, probably about an hour or so from uh, Fresno up in the Sierra Nevada is at some lodge or something there. And she kind of uh, wigged out and got a message that uh, instructed her that she was Celestia from the fourth dimension. Oh, weird. I never heard that part of the whole thing. Yeah, and that she needed, she should uh, take some ecstasy and drive to Fresno and rendezvous with the Space Brothers. Oh, weird. And that's that's where she was uh, discovered, and there was a missing time thing there, too. It's like an hour, 90-minute drive from where she's at uh, to Fresno, but there was like a bunch of missing time in between that, and uh, of course she was on ecstasy, so who knows. But uh, anyway, they picked her up like uh, kind of scantily clad in shorts and a sports bra, walking aimlessly in a field out in Fresno somewhere. And after that, she kind of uh, snapped out of it. And uh, <laughs> But uh, anyway, th- there's the tie in my own psychedelic experience and Anne Hesh's experience on ecstasy. Yeah, I just I just called it up here on the uh, on the wiki. It says, you think uh, I was making this stuff up? No, I wanted to know more about this while I was listening <laughs> to this. It says, when deputies arrived, Hesh told them that she was God and was going to take everyone back to heaven in a spaceship, according to a police report that was aired on NBC. So, there you go. And that was hey. in 2000, so, weird. But, uh, how about this? This is sort of like the the other, like, big thing. I kind of hit you with the the sort of general... Charlie Manson thing, and we, we danced around this a little bit with the JFK assassination, but, I mean, you've really dug into this whole thing. Do you have, like, sort of an overarching theory 
on, you know, like what went down in that whole thing? Because, like, that, that thing's been, you know, co-opted by every conspiracy theory out there. I mean, you know, it's for, for some people, it's, it's UFOs, you know? And it's like, I don't think it's UFOs, dude. But, like, but there are people who are, like, insistent that, that this was fueled by UFOs or, or some tiff with the Federal Reserve or was the Mafia or was the Cubans or the CIA. It's like everybody, you know... Everybody's a suspect at some point. Do you, do you have a theory anymore, or is it so diluted by misinformation and all that that it's like, why, that you just kind of throw your hands up and watch it as the circus unfold? Well, shucks. <laughs> I sound like John Wayne here. <laughs> it's one of those things I, um, yeah, I hate throwing around uh, alphabet soup uh, acronyms and stuff, but... Uh, uh certainly seems like uh elements of certain uh, clandestine <laughs> agencies within this great nation were involved um i th- i th- i think there was a lot of players on a lot of uh levels and they were within the government they were rogue elements of the government but then you can see also that JFK pissed off the uh mafia and he uh, was getting ready to uh, pull out of Vietnam, so that's you know brings in the whole corporate, military, industrial thing. So it was a lot of different interests that were involved. So no, I don't know, can't say one particular entity or agency or I think it was a whole network of uh, folks who all felt that hey, this guy's going to screw things up for us, man. we got to... Right. It was almost like there wasn't any resistance left from any faction to the, he, got to he that had point. To go, he had to go, and he was seen as a uh, loose cannon, you know, for a lot of reasons, too, now that I think about it, because he was... You know, how many mistresses and lovers did the guy have? I mean, he's made Tiger Woods look like... Uh, What's a good comparison like Mr. Rogers, you know? Yeah, yeah, that was a big thing about him having a mistress that came out like uh, earlier this year. Yeah, there's a, uh, actually a book uh, came out about Mary Pinchot Meyer, and this brings up, uh, I'm not sure if you're familiar with her name, but uh, Mary Pinchot Meyer was uh, friends with Timothy Leary. Yeah. And you know who Dr. Timothy Leary was? Of course. LSD guru. And she was, uh, as the story goes, and I haven't read this new book, but I, you know, familiar with Mary Pinchot Myers, that, uh, she was an adherent of LSD and turned JFK onto LSD. There's a lot of stories out there about this. And he, <laughs> imagine the president of the USA talk, taking Acid, and of course, you know what happens when you get on acid. You see that, well, maybe not your younger guy, but uh, what happens with good acid, which I haven't uh, taken probably 30 years, but <laughs> you, you basically become one with God, and everybody is one, and everything makes sense, you know, and JFK saw that, you know, and that's, hey, you're going to, it's like uh, when... Uh, Bill Hicks talks about that when he was on Mushrooms. He saw that uh, 
everything was one. We need to lay down our weapons and, uh, or, or, and basically that kind of thinking screw up the whole economy. Right. What's that going to do to the military industrial complex? So there's a lot of reasons why, uh, people were, uh, pissed off at JFK, the mafia basically uh, bought Chicago for him, and that cinched the presidential election. Then he turned around, Bobby Kennedy, you know, a little history lesson here. Kennedy, Robert Kennedy, he was the attorney general. You know, the president appoints his little brother to be attorney general who goes off, really uh, went off on the uh, mafia big time and was... uh, you know, just uh, going after them, it's like, uh, what the hell, you know? You welched on a deal here. Yeah. And so there's uh, a lot of people uh, had reasons to take uh, JFK out. Ha- you know, how it happened, uh, uh, you know. That's a whole other kind of fish, the mechanics yeah. of the thing, we can't say who uh, exactly did it, but uh, it wasn't Oswald sitting up there. <laughs> firing some lucky shots. It was all tri- triangulated, and it came from the grassy knoll and probably from a few different uh, angles. So there was a number of people involved. Well, what about this? This is a two-parter. Mm-hmm. A, do you think we'll ever find out exactly what happened? And I mean, you know, not not precisely, but, you know, at least <laughs> at least more of a general idea, let's say. Well, and I hold can, on, there's a, think... B, there's a B to that. <laughs> And B, are you surprised? Here we are, fifty years later, and we, you know, we, we're still like we're still like a blind man in an orgy. We still don't really know what the hell's going on. I think we do know some stuff. I think uh, one of the players was E. Howard Hunt, mm-hmm. and he was a uh, CIA operative, contract agent. A lot of times, these guys who do the dirty work. Uh, the agency washes their hands of him, and maybe he was kind of working on a rogue level, but he had delivered a deathbed confession a few years back, and I think uh, he was basically indicating it was a conspiracy with rogue elements of the agency, etc. Yeah. And for many, many years, people suspected him <laughs> of being involved, and he always denied it and said he was someplace else, but uh, a lot of people knew, basically, that he was involved in it, and so he finally comes out with that deathbed confession, so I think we know some things like that. It's interesting to note that uh, this ties in with a project I'm working in, but uh, working on, um, and a past project, or past book, uh, Prankster and the Conspiracy, uh, the book on Kerry Thornley, uh, Thornley uh, kind of uh, suspected, indicated that Howard E. Howard Hunt was one of his handlers, and that he was Hunt, and others were trying to set uh, Thornley up as a patsy in the Kennedy assassination if the Oswald setup didn't happen as they had planned. So he's kind of a backup fall guy. If you're following me, I'm jumping around all over yeah. the place. But uh, I gotcha. Um. In the past, since I wrote that uh, book, I've come across uh, a lot more materials related to Thornley and the Oswald and the Kennedy assassination, and uh, I'm working on a book now 
to that end, dealing more directly with that uh, subject. And uh, hopefully it'll I'll have the have it finished by the end of the year. And kind of the thinking there was uh, be able to uh, get it published uh, during the what are we going on here? The uh, the fiftieth. Fiftieth, yeah, the big five zero of the uh, Kennedy assassination. Well, it'll that'll be. be okay. Oh, that'll be my contribution, and uh, I'm just starting to delve into that. Uh, no, we never would. No, to answer your question, though, Part B, <laughs> we'll never know conclusively. And you're talking fifty years. Uh, you know, anybody who was a principal will be long dead. Uh, I think they, they, the ubiquitous, they covered their tracks pretty well or there are so many people involved and so much disinformation and yeah red herrings false stories thrown out there that uh you know it's just a big uh jumbled mess yeah yeah it's interesting to see how that kind of stuff happens like roswell kennedy assassination 9-11 it's mm-hmm. like these things just get so mixed up that you know yeah. you have to throw your hands up at some point oh yeah I, I, I gave up after a while but uh like i said yeah i really got uh deep into uh looking into the kennedy assassin assassination back in the day and i think that's good preparation for working on this new book project you know to have that uh background when you're uh you know working on a book of this scope yeah absolutely now, one thing I noticed here to get sort of like meta on this is, uh, you know, I first interviewed you like probably about six, seven years ago. I got meta, like meta world peace? No, 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 no. <laughs> <laughs> um, and, and, and back when I first like met you, you were like super shrouded in secrecy. And I don't even know if I ever saw like a picture of you, but now you're oh, on the, yeah. you're on the cover of the book here. Is there, yeah. are you, are you sort of coming out of your shell a little bit? As, as uh, crazy as that might sound? Yeah, I am. And uh, I kind of kept my face hidden because I had, you know, a real-world job, and I was kind of paranoid about uh, people seeing I was into all this stuff. Yeah. Especially, you know, writing about (laughs) taking acid and seeing UFOs. It's kind of hard to fix for an uncomfortable conversation sometimes with your boss. (laughs) Yeah, yeah. Basically, I don't give a shit anymore, so. Well, that's good, yeah. Yeah. That's all I was kind of wondering, because it stood out to me where I was like, because as I said, I've had you at my home, so. Yeah. The mystery's I, gone for I, me, but. I actually exist, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I can assure you that Adam does indeed exist. Yeah, it's funny. Uh, there was a book that uh, came out by a guy named Victor Thorne. Here I go again. I can't even name the thing, but he was talking about uh, it's like the 20 most popular conspiracy theorists or something. Yeah, this is where they put the picture of Bishop on there, right? (laughs) Exactly. So, yeah, I might be Greg Bishop and vice versa, and it's funny, we kind of use the same uh, theme music for our podcast. (laughs) So, who, who knows? All right, nice. What about all the projects you got going on? You said uh, you're working on this movie, Parafornia? Yep, we uh, basically, uh, we might do some more filming for it, but 
right now it's just in the editing uh, phase and uh, pretty complex movie. We uh, filmed over 23 interviews and in different Oh, wow, nice. So it's figuring out uh, how to edit all this stuff together and make a cohesive uh, whole out of it, you know, and that's what the director is working at. So right, kind right. of out of my hands at this point, but the hope hope to see it in a uh, year or so. I hope you're in it more than you are, and uh, I think you're alone now. Yeah, uh, probably, <laughs> probably so. I, I'm sure I will be, but I was kind of the producer for this thing. Oh, nice. So I was a little reticent of uh, having me in the movie too much. You know, I was kind of trying to be uh, the behind-the-scenes guy, but... Uh, well, actually, uh, one portion of it, we went to uh, uh, Fresno, where I had my UFO encounter and got together with my buddy Joe, and we went out to the area where we saw the UFOs back in the day, so we talk about that experience. And so that's kind of the uh, theme. There's a, uh, one of the themes, a bunch of threads woven together about, uh, oh, uh, altered states and paranormal experiences, you know, and you interviewed all these uh, folks. Many of you've had on your show Bishops in the movie and Redfern and Andy Colvin. And, nice, nice. Uh, other friends, Alexandra Bruce and Skylar Alphagren and uh, several more. Jeff Turner is in there. And, oh, yeah. Some of you other names you might not be familiar with, but uh, I'm basically trying to weave all these uh, stories together and kind of paint the picture of uh, California, California, uh, you know, the, uh, the strange state where uh, there's this history of all this high weirdness going on. Also, the idea was going out to Giant Rock and the Integratron and kind of this documenting this history while there's still an opportunity to uh, document it, you know? Yeah, exactly, exactly. Yeah, we didn't even get into the whole uh, contact era stuff, but that, we'll right. save that for another time. Yeah, indeed. And uh, what else do you have going on? Uh, this one, this book just dropped, so I know you're working yeah. on other books and stuff, but you want to... You want to savor the, uh, you know, the launch and everything right now. But what what else is uh what else is cooking in the Go Rightly Kitchen? Mm, well, there's the Kennedy book, but there's several. There's a few other books. I say several. There's a number of things that uh, need to keep uh, under wraps. Yeah, clouded in a veil of mystery for the moment. And are you still podcasting or not? Hell no. <laughs> <laughs> no, I I had my fun run, but uh, it's time to move on. Uh, if people want to go hear the podcast, though, I have a uh, archive of them. If they go to gorightly.wordpress.com, nice. Then go over. Well, that's that's not the archive. Oh, oh, jeez. Stay with me here. <laughs> we're we're making a map for you folks here. So you look at your little page there, and you got your sidebar over on the right where you have all the links and stuff. And you'll see a little visual of it's actually Walter Winchell, and that was way before. We're going way out of your demographics now. He's an old report radio reporter. Back in the day, and you'll see Untamed Dimensions Audio Archives 
and you clicky click, you do a double click on that. <laughs> yeah, you can't just yeah. click it once. If you click once, you'll be like, "Well, what's the deal here?" So you got to click twice. Weird. All right. Yeah, and you know, sometimes if you don't pull it off, execute the double click right, <laughs> it won't work. So yeah, yeah. So you have to do you it. You've experienced this. You're laughing, but no, I know exactly what you're talking I'm about. It's a just, picture here, so you I'm, I'm, I like the the clicky clicky description. <laughs> yeah, that's an so industry anyway, term. That'll, you can get into those audio archives, and there's probably. I really don't plug these that much, but now that you brought it up, there's probably 40, 30 or 40 interviews. I tried to uh, put the best ones in there. Well, I hope mine's in there still. Yours is in there. Awesome. I believe, yeah. You know, and part of it, people go in there and look for their interview, and it's like, well, what happened here? Wasn't I a good interview? In some cases, I was always wrestling with audio quality. Yeah. And there were some shows that were total garbage, and if I go back and listen to something and it's painful for me to listen to, yeah. because of the audio quality, I'm not going to post that up there. That's part of my gripe about a lot of the podcasting that goes on. Nowadays, you'll listen to uh, some show. One of the things that uh, drives me crazy, and it's because of the equipment you know, folks are using or some of these uh, services... You, you basically don't have a balance between the voices, too, you know? So yeah. One's loud and the other's low, and you have to... Stuff like that drives me uh, nuts. But anyway, that's neither here nor there. No, I know what you mean. It's, uh, you know, it's it's a strange sort of scene nowadays. And, and that was part of my... Uh, one of the reasons I quit doing it, because I just didn't have the... Technology wasn't there for me yet, or it was too much work, you know. I'd love to, I would do a show if I was like, uh, <clears throat> perfect scenario, which will never happen, but, you know, had a spot on coast to coast or something, or <laughs> something similar where you have a uh, producer and you really don't have to do anything but uh, show up and. House, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it's always nice when you have a staff. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. No, I know what you mean. It's uh. So it's you know it's a lot of work for somebody uh, like you. I know I know the work that uh, goes into it. Yeah, it's a lot of work. I'm fortunate that the we well like like we tried earlier to, when we at the start of the interview just to sort of like pull the curtain back for people who you know mm-hmm. you know we started we tried to do it with the Skype and it just didn't work and yeah luckily. Over the course of seven years, people have kind of come to accept the the raw nature of my show, where it's like at this point, if I sw- I don't think I could ever switch to Skype because mm-hmm. my voice would sound so different because I'm just yeah, you'd be using the too. same phone for so long. <laughs> and you'd, yeah, you'd have to figure out a new procedure. It might eventually uh, be better, but you know, it's just hey, you got what you're doing's working for you. So right, right. Like I tinkered with a live. We we did a we I do the comedy show with Jeremy Vaney and uh, we did a live show and uh, for the comedy show that's perfect because then I don't have to do any post production work but yeah. for 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 BOA audio I listened to it afterwards and it was like I'd much rather just do it pre taped on the digital recorder on an old landline to me it just works the best so yeah doing live is. Uh hit and miss. I always did my show 
live and there's a uh, certain energy you get, but uh, then when you fall on your face, you really fall on your face. <laughs> Right, right. You can't like stop and be like, "Oh, let's let me," you know. Yeah. So no, I know exactly. I'd, I'd, I'd go back and edit stuff sometimes, but once again, it's like I'm spending a lot of time on this editing, and <laughs> yeah, it's like, does anybody really care? Well, I care, you know. And it just, yeah, gets to gets to be a bit too much. That's why I get to be a bit bit too much. But yeah, I enjoyed uh, doing those. And there's some uh, if they go into those archives, there's some gems there. You know, shows that. Uh, I think we're pretty uh, unique, like my show on Francis Deck. So nice. You got to check that out if you haven't. Yeah, well, folks should definitely check that out. Check out the full archive because you know I get emails from people all the time asking about other shows to check out. And also, I get emails all the time from Go Rightly fans. So this is the perfect, oh, cool. you know, opportunity for them to find out more about El Gogo. And uh, hey, this will be a perfect opportunity for you to uh, give a quote uh, for the book. Come something off the top of your head. Oh Jesus! We can. <laughs> you're <coughs> you're asking for this like two and a half hours into this. <laughs> no, forget it. <laughs> Let me think about it. I'll, I can start, shoot you one start, in an email if you want. Start start all over again. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I interrupted. It's you. all right. It's all right. Um, <laughs> you're a pain in the ass. Um, yeah, well, folks should check out that archive because. Uh, you know, I get a lot of emails from people asking about other shows and what other shows they should check out. And I also get emails from Go Rightly fans. So this is like the perfect storm of uh, of uh, emails, if you will. So check out that archive for more from uh, El Gogo. You definitely want to check out Happy Trails to High Weirdness, a conspiracy theorist's tour guide. Now, I noticed uh, you were talking about the end of your uh, – the song at the end of your podcast and how it's Happy Trails. Now, you're not – this happy trails to high weirdness. This isn't goodbye to high weirdness, right? From you, this isn't like a farewell book. It, it could be interpreted a lot of different ways. Somebody brought that up in a, another interview I did recently, and I hadn't uh, thought about that. So, uh, obviously, no. <laughs> <laughs> I like how you teased us with the, the suspense there, but that. <laughs> so it could be, and it's like the white, uh, like, uh, Magical Mystery Tour or uh, Sergeant Pepper's Lonely Hearts Club Band. That yeah, yeah, could be interpreted a lot of different ways. All right, okay, but it's not a farewell, and that's that's key because uh, we we can't we can't say goodbye to you uh, in the field. We have to say goodbye to you tonight, but obviously you'll be back uh, in mm-hmm. the future to talk about baseball, of course, basketball, of course, and uh, the paranormal and high strangeness, definitely. So you know, it's always fun talking to you, Adam. It's loose. I walked into this with uh the only notes I had was this list of your various nicknames. So <laughs> and and the uh and I think it went pretty well. So I've enjoyed the conversation quite a bit. And it wasn't quite on the level of our drunken conversations late at night, but those are not fit for broadcast, so Well, we were getting there. I've had a couple there. <laughs> And, you know, the door's always open to have you back on the show. Maybe we'll do some kind of JFK thing around the anniversary. Uh, Ooh, yeah. And talk about that. Maybe get get a couple different people on at the same time or something crazy like that. And uh, that's definitely something to consider. So I'll, I'll keep that sort of in the till. But, uh, you know, as always, it's been great talking to you. And big thrill to share the conversation, share one of our many conversations here uh, with the folks out there in BOA Audio Land. So thanks again, Adam. And, you know, we'll be in touch. Thank you. That does it for this edition of BOA Audio Season 7 
Big, big thanks to Adam Go Rightly for coming back on the show. Be sure to check out his new book, Happy Trails to High Weirdness, A Conspiracy Theorist Tour Guide. You can find that on Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and a plethora of other book outlets. And if you want more from Adam Go Rightly, head on over to adamgorightly.com. Check it out. Moving right along now, it's time for BOA Audio Listener Feedback and... We got three emails here this week, a somewhat long one, and then two very short ones, because I know we are way beyond the deadline for the new edition of the show. So let's just dive into the mailbag. First one comes from Max, no hometown listed. Here's what he has to say. I'm a huge BOA fan. I've got the entire back catalog on my iPod, and I'm a weekly listener and reader. My band, called Great Deceivers is going to be coming through Boston on August 20th. We're playing at a bar that I believe is near Alston called O'Brien's Pub. Wanted to give you a heads up to let you know that I'll be in town and ask if you'd be interested in coming out. I'd love to buy you a beer and get the chance to meet up and maybe chat for a few. No hard feelings either way. Just wanted to put the offer out there. Hope you're doing well. Keep on fighting the good fight. Thanks, Max. Thank you very much for writing in, Max. Thank you for the invitation. He includes a link to the band's website. So if you want to hear the music of a BOA Audio listener, head on over to greatdeceivers.com. He tells me that they've got a new record coming out in September. That's their first vinyl. And I had the chance to actually uh, tune in a little bit to some of the Great Deceivers music on their website. And I was impressed. It's good stuff. It's really good stuff. So... BOA Audio listeners, head on over to greatdeceivers.com and tune in to their music. And I was looking into it. They've got quite a big tour going on. So if they're in your area, folks, definitely go out and check them out. I know they're going to be in uh, upstate New York following their Boston swing. I can't make any promises about heading out to O'Brien's Pub. But you'd think if I was going to go anywhere, it would be a place called O'Brien's Pub. So there's a chance I may make the trip out to Alston to hear The Great Deceivers. But if I do not, I will definitely uh, take Max up on a rain check and obviously encourage all the awesome BOA Audio listeners to check out greatdeceivers.com. Thank you for writing in, Max, and thank you for the invitation. I will look into the gig on August 20th, and maybe we can meet up for a beer or three. Next email comes from D. No hometown listed. Here's what she has to say. Excellent show with Lauren C. and Bruce R. Wonder how a roundtable show on this, after the dust settles, involving them and maybe Peter Lavenda, Nick Redfern, and I would suggest Bill Burns. But that would be a marathon. Great job you are doing, D. Thank you for writing in, D, and thank you for the suggestion. Uh, this is episode number 10 of season 7, and I believe we have yet to do a dual guest program yet, and actually in the history of the program, we've never done a roundtable show with three guests, to the best of my memory. I'm pretty certain of that, because actually I only have the ability to talk to two people at once via the phone. So maybe if we have two guests in the same location, we can add a third guest for the roundtable, the historic roundtable in the future. Interesting lineup you suggest here for the proposed roundtable. I'm sure Peter Lavenda, Nick Redfern, and Bill Burns would have plenty to say about the Aurora shooting, but 
they're just a strange sort of mix because I would never have considered those guys for an episode on that topic. Certainly UFOs or the world of the paranormal in general, they would have a lot to say about. And again, I'm sure they have a lot to say about the Aurora shooting, but an interesting mix nonetheless. I'm not sure if or when I'll revisit the Aurora incident just because it seems like it's kind of a one-and-done thing, even though there are plenty of really disturbed people running around in copycat mentalities right now following the event. Obviously, that terrible tragedy in Wisconsin at the Sikh Temple may have been kicked off by the events in Aurora. Although, the more we learn about that whole thing, I'm just thinking that that was just a crazy lunatic bigot who uh, finally snapped. I'm not sure how much that's connected to Aurora, aside from just the thrill this maniac probably got from watching the coverage of the theater shooting. I'm going off on a tangent here. I don't remember what I was going to say. But I, if we do a roundtable show, I think we're going to cover something much broader. So something like UFOs or Bigfoot or conspiracy theory. You know, the tent poles of BOA Audio. That's what we'll do for a roundtable show. If I can ever figure out how to do three guests or more, that might be the time I finally break and get some kind of advanced system for uh, speaking to guests. Nonetheless, thank you for writing in, D. You uh, sent me down the rabbit hole of rambling, but hopefully the BOA Audio listeners do not mind. Final email comes from Ben, who sent me a message via Twitter. And I should say this now, I'm absolutely atrocious at getting back to people on Twitter. It's like this scale of gradation. I mean, I'm okay at getting back to people via email. I'm pretty bad at getting back to people on Facebook. And on Twitter, I'm just the worst. So if you've sent me a message on Twitter, chances are it's taken me quite a while to read it. Do not take it personally. Try to reach out to me through Facebook or email. And If you're someone who sent me a message on MySpace, just forget about it, because I have not even logged into MySpace in quite some time. Anyway, where was I? Ben's message via Twitter. Here's what he has to say. Thanks for all the hard work getting us great shows. Stop by for a tattoo and some drinks if you're ever in Minnesota. Ben. Thank you for the offer, Ben. What an interesting mix this week. Again, this wasn't planned by me. I just sort of picked the first three that popped onto my radar, and I knew I had to get into Twitter and look at some of these messages that I've been getting and haven't been looking at. But nonetheless, what an odd uh, message and offer from Ben. I don't have any tattoos. Maybe it's time I, I take him up on the offer and head out to Minnesota for a tattoo. I presume that's a free tattoo. I hope that I would not have to pay for that. That would be embarrassing at the end of the whole process. And a a second offer of drinks. So the BYU Audio listeners really know who they're listening to here on the program. And in light of Ben's offer and people who have offered in the past, I'm starting to really think that I need to put together some kind of cross-country journey where I just go from Boston to California and back and stop at all the different BOA Audio listeners' places where they'll let me crash on their couch and uh, go out for some drinks and then recover and leave the next afternoon to the next town where I'll meet up with another BOA Audio listener. That would be awesome. If I could do that, that would be amazing. So, Ben, I'm going to put you in the pushpin here for our Minnesota representative to have a place to crash and maybe get a tattoo 
maybe like a BOA cross country tour 2013 tattoo. I would really regret that almost immediately, but, <laughs> but I will keep it in mind. I've thought about getting the BOA logo tattooed at some point, but again, I just, I'm the kind of person that is a fidgeter. I need to have things perfect all the time. I'd constantly be thinking about changing things or wishing I'd done something differently. So the permanence of tattoos is terrifying to me. Regardless of my tattoo fears, thank you, Ben, for what has to be probably the most unique offer from any BOA audio listener ever. So certainly one for the archives and definitely one that I want to showcase here at the end of the show. And on that note, we'll wrap up the listener feedback mailbag this week. Thanks to Ben, D, and Max for writing in. If you want to reach out to me and be a part of BOA Audio Listener Feedback in the future, you can write to boaaudio at hotmail.com or just find me on Facebook, punch in Benal, B-I-N-N-A-L-L, also on Twitter, or head on over to Benal of America, B-I-N-N-A-L-L of America, and click the contact button. And, of course, the final method is to join up at the official BOA forum, theusofe.com, T-H-E-U-S-O-F-E.com. Lots of great conversations going on there about the esoteric and pop culture as well. Talking about the Police Academy movies, the Olympics, this ALF movie that's apparently in development. So a lot of weird stuff being talked about at the US of E alongside discussion on the latest editions of BOA Audio and the general foolishness of the world of esoterica. The US of E, we call it BOA's Paranormal Playground. Come on over, it's free, my friends. Join up and join in on the conversation. And before I wrap up the means of contact, be sure to head on over to Facebook and punch in Benal of America. That's our Facebook page. There you can like us, and you can also find some exclusive content. I believe we're up to 760 now. So we've broken the 750 barrier. I really want to get us to 1,000. So tell your friends, tell your neighbors, tell your pets to like BOA on Facebook. Up next, it's time for the thanks portion of the show. Allow me to thank the outstanding and esteemed BOA staff, Leslie, Chiron, Regan Lee, Joe V, Tina Senna, Richard Thomas, Marla Pena, Bruce Pretty, Tony Morrill, and our webmaster, Jeremy Boston. Since the last time you heard from me, we've got an all-new column from Regan Lee titled, You Will Be Eradicated, a very odd piece from Regan Lee looking at strange people on the internet. And we've got new pieces from Marla Pena, as well as Richard Thomas waiting in the till, really just waiting for me to get off my tuchus and get them posted. So stay tuned to Banal of America for new columns from the BOA staff. We say it week in and week out, my friends, and it is the truth. If you're only listening to BOA audio and you're not reading the columns at Banal of America then you're only getting half the story. B-O-A. Make it a part of your everyday search for esoteric news and opinion. Now comes the time in the program where I take my hat off and pass it around the audience and ask you to make a donation 
to the VOA franchise. How do you do that? That is simple. You head on over to Banal of America and click the PayPal button. That'll take you to our PayPal donation page. They'll walk you through the process. It's safe and secure. But what if you don't trust the internet and you want to donate in a different way? That is cool because we have a P.O. box so you can send your donations via snail mail. You can mail those to Tim Benall, P.O. Box 232, Pinehurst, Mass 01866, and you spell Pinehurst, P-I-N-E-H-U-R-S-T. The complete address can be found at BOA right under the PayPal button. And if you mail a donation, please make it payable to Tim Benall and not Benall of America. And please include some correspondence so I can reach out to you and thank you for your donation. As always, no donation is too small and all donations go towards Benall of America and BOA Audio to help keep the entire franchise up and running, freely available and commercial free for all of our great readers and listeners the world over. On the next edition of BOA Audio, we wrap up the big batch of conversations which we taped in the spring. So for all the folks who have been wondering why we keep rolling out these dated editions of the program, do not fret, my friends. This is the final episode from the springtime batch, and it is a doozy, folks. Our guest is Neil Arnold. He's the author of Monster. The A to Z of Zooform Phenomena. And we are really going to be exploring this mind-bending concept with Neil Arnold on the program next week. Truly some thought-provoking stuff. We'll have you looking at the world of cryptozoology in a whole new light. And we'll definitely have you thinking about these monsters in a very different way. That's Neil Arnold on the next edition of BOA Audio. We'll be covering Monster, the A to Z of Zooform Phenomena. And on that note, we close the book on this edition of the program. Once again, big, big thanks to Adam Rightly for coming back on the show. Check out the book, Happy Trails to High Weirdness, A Conspiracy Theorist Tour Guide. And thanks to Max, D, and Ben for writing in on BOA audio listener feedback. And finally, big, big thanks to all you folks out there, the hardcore BOA audio listeners, the many, many folks who tune in all the way to the end of the program. You guys are amazing. Thank you for your support of the program, and thank you once again for making BOA audio a part of your esoteric audio playlist. Until next time, this is Tim Benall, thanking you for listening and signing off.